0: Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your
1: stay. Three, two, one. We had a countdown. (laughs) I'm applauding. It's the new year.
2: Yay! Yay! Oh, that's why we had a countdown? Yeah. (laughs) Three, (laughs) two, one. Happy, Happy Happy New Year!
1: Those Everyone's are, uh, like fireworks. It was
2: New Year like two weeks ago, guys. Yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, January seventh when we're recording this. This will come out, of course, on the Tuesday, uh, next Tuesday. Um, it's an exciting one. Welcome back, Josh. Welcome back, Jimmy. It's been three weeks since we've recorded a podcast. It feels weird to be gone away from the mic that long. Yo, gotta be on the mic. Gotta be on the mic. What's up? <laughs> you're you're getting stale, getting rusty, dude.
2: <laughs> I forgot. How's it? Oh, that's right. What's your name? I'm Jimmy. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. You guys are
1: listening to The Command Zone, everybody. This is a commander podcast for the very popular uh, sub-format of Magic the Gathering. Uh, the, the Elder
2: Dragon commander one.
1: Yeah. Uh, 100-card singleton decks led by a powerful commander.
2: Do-do-do-do-do. <laughs> <laughs> that's the theme song. Yeah. In case you guys didn't know. Wizards,
1: give us a call. We will happily tell you the notes to it and <laughs> give you the song.
2: <laughs> so, this is going to be our Oath of the Gatewatch set review. We're doing it a little bit earlier than we normally do it. So, yep. there'll be going to be a couple of caveats we'll get into that later. First, there's been some happenings since, you know, we've been gone for a little while, so there's been a couple of happenings we're going to touch on before we jump into the set review. Yeah, yeah. There was sort of a recent rules committee quote unquote controversy it's a leak. <laughs> it was a leak of sorts. So, what happened is um, somebody on Reddit, I think it was Reddit originally, might have been MTG Salvation. I'm trying to still think of an oath of the Gate Watch.
1: <laughs> oh, RC Gate Watch. Yeah, RC Gate Watch. Uh, so, yeah, someone was having a conversation with Sheldon Menary, uh on Facebook, I believe. And Sheldon is the head of the Rules Committee, he served sort of the grandfather of the format. Uh, and it was shared on Reddit, and it was sort of asking Sheldon, hey, what's going on with this and this, and what's what's sort of on the priority list?
2: Yeah, I think the conversation literally started with the person asking a question regarding, like, Mindslaver-like effects. Mm-hmm. So the person was asking, and this is an inter- interesting thing we haven't talked about on the show, but if you don't know, Mindslaver lets you take control of the, uh, a player's next turn. Um, there are Mindslaver locks where you can basically do that at infinitum and take all their turns. There's other cards in the history of magic that say, you know, you take control of the, this player's next turn. And so you mm-hmm. sort of play their turn for them. Yeah. see so their w- hand, you get to do whatever you want. You tap their mana, you cast their spells, you declare their attacks. You all, can't concede. However, you cannot concede. <laughs> that's one of the rules. Um, But if they have a sacrifice outlet, you can choose to sacrifice all their stuff. Yeah. So, things like that. So the person was asking if I use mind slaver on my opponent in EDH, can I sack their commander and then choose not to put it into the command zone because I'm that player mm-hmm. and then let it go to the graveyard? Or can I tuck it and I don't – any of those may effects. Can I exile yeah. it and choose not to? And uh, if you didn't know, the answer is yes, you can. If if you mind-slaver or otherwise take control of somebody's turn, then you get to determine what happens to their commander when it's exiled, it dies. Bye-bye tuck roll. Yeah, Just exactly. <laughs> do whatever you want. It's. It's a loophole, Sheldon said. It's not a super high priority because it's a pretty niche case.
1: Yeah, I think in the lava games, I very rarely see a mind slaver type effect come out, and it's the kind of thing that's dealt with very quickly, usually too. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting loophole. I don't think you should be able to do that. I think, similarly, in the way you can't concede, the player that owns the deck should have some control over certain cards. Yeah, I don't know. I don't mind it, but I didn't mind the tuck rule either. Yeah, me either. I mean, I personally don't care, but I can see, I mean, if we're going to go be going the tuck rule way, you know, if we've set that precedent, it would make sense that, okay, sure, you are the person in control of the deck uh, overall, so you get to
2: decide. I mean, it probably rarely matters, because I don't know that I've ever seen somebody just bring out a mind slaver and use it to take control of somebody for one turn. Yeah. It's almost always like, I get all your turns. Although sometimes that one turn can matter. (laughs) True. It's just (laughs) nobody usually played. Anyway, so that was where the discussion started. Where it ended. was pretty interesting. So what happened is Sheldon sort of answered like, "Eh, it's not a super high priority. And Mm -hmm. then the other person said, oh, well, if you don't mind me asking, what are on the priority list for stuff you'd like to see changed or fixed in EDH? And again, Sheldon is on the rules committee. So he does have a lot of say in, you know, for instance, the tuck rule change was something. Mm -hmm. um so two things were brought up by sheldon one was he said the top priority was to try and uh fix the mulligan
1: Hmm. so i I don't i could see there being a lot of testing with different kinds of mulligans i don't know if i don't know what they found to be wrong with it exactly um i know some people that are opposed to the way that we mulligan which is you draw a card a hand of seven and you choose which cards you don't like put them aside draw back up to seven and then shuffle those cards back into your library Uh, I've heard people complain that it can sculpt too powerful of a hand.
2: Yeah, Partial Paris is what it's called. And it probably skews a little too powerful, but we're generally okay with that. Yeah, I'm generally okay with it as well. We've heard complaints from other players, though, where they feel like their friends sort of use the Partial Paris to cheat. And I guess if you're in that environment, then, well, first of of all, you've got problems. But (laughs) I can understand where if you've got a sort of sketchy type of player in your play group that might take advantage of that, then maybe you don't want to do that. But on the other hand, in our format, it's sort of pretty crappy to be like mana screwed or mana, you know. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's worse than other formats because in other formats, if it's 1v1 and I'm playing standard, let's say, and I get mana screwed, well, I just lose that game fairly quickly and I'm on to the next game. I'm playing with five people and I'm mana screwed. Even if they kill me fast, I'm just going to be sitting there. It just sucks to not play Magic because there's just a longer period of time that games take. Yeah. So... Maybe. I wonder what they're playing with. Maybe they're going to implement the scry rule officially yeah, I or could something.
1: Yeah, I could see since that coming into effect, uh, it bringing up the questions like,
2: maybe we should look at our Mulligan rule and see if there's a way to balance it in a more fair way. It's interesting because like the tuck rule, one of my main complaints about it being imp- implemented is that we play a lot of commander and we played with a lot of people and I just hadn't heard the tuck, r- the tuck being a problem mm-hmm. as like a big outcrying from the community. And then Mulligan, I feel like, man, I don't know that I've ever heard... Anybody really complaining about the mulligan rule because everybody sort of agrees you can set the mulligan rule at the table. Like when we've played, like when you and I have gone to an LGS and played, we usually just ask, What mulligan rule do you guys use? Mm -hmm. And then we go with that. And it's never been a big deal. So it's interesting that that's a high priority for. Maybe that's what they're going to change it to. It's like it's always dependent on your play group. Just ask. (laughs) But I mean, there has (laughs) to be some baseline. I mean, I think the assumption is the mulligan rule just works as normal. You draw seven. If you don't like that, you draw it out on a six. Yeah, and that's you know that's what the the uh, the default setting is, right? I could see maybe like you can only
1: pitch up to four cards. You can't do like a full six or something. Like you draw your single most. So you powerful. can't just hold the soul ring and well, yeah. you can hold it anyway. Yeah, you're not getting rid of that card anyway from Mulliganing. <laughs> um, Although I have Mulliganed away a powerful hand against a, like a, a a group that was just like, "Hey,
2: we have some precons versus some real decks." Oh yeah. All I've right, d- I
1: am not keeping this ridiculous hand. I've done that all the time. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um I'm pretty lazy anyway, so a lot of times I was like, "Whatever, I'll just keep this."
1: Yeah, and see what happens. Uh now here's the the real controversy is that uh Sheldon Menery said the another thing high on the priority list is that uh I guess there is some disagreement and uh, disapproval of people using off-color fetch lands
2: in their decks
1: that don't match the color identity of the commander of
2: the deck. Yeah, so. I'm not sure of exactly how he worded it, but it was something like one of the his highest priorities is to write a rule that prevents people from playing off-color fetches, but you write the rule in such a way that it doesn't nerf other cards. Mm-hmm. So his goal would be to stop people from playing off-color fetches without affecting... Yeah, a coherent
1: and concise rule that prevents people from playing them that doesn't nerf anything else. Uh, so, for instance, if you guys don't know what we're talking about, let's say you're playing a mono-red deck and you have lands in there like wooded foothills. Mm-hmm. And now, that's a fetch land that will get you a mountain or a forest. It doesn't have the colored mana symbol in there, so you can legally play it right now in your red deck to get a mountain. Uh, you can not fetch for a forest, uh, but you can definitely find a mountain with it. And a lot Yeah, because you can't have a forest in the deck. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, uh, fetch lands help some of my decks out, but never to an overpowered fashion. I have a deck that likes to delve a lot, so fetch lands are nice. Um, if you have a deck that has, like, landfall triggers, uh, for instance,
2: fetches are great. Or Titania, who wants Titania, you to sacrifice lands. Right. Um, the new Maseric wants you to sacrifice permanence. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reasons to want to play the fetches that are off-color. Um even if they can only get one specific, like you only have swamps, you don't have islands, but you can still play polluted Delta. Like you said, different decks have different reasons why they might want to do that. Um, So it sounds as if the rules committee, or at least Sheldon wants to find a way to cut off that option, which I find again, similar to the Mulligan thing and the tuck rule. It's like, is anybody complaining about that? I haven't ever heard Mulligans. I've, we've, definitely have been discussed a few times and definitely tuck rule you know i'd, I'd heard i've never heard maybe, a single thing about off color fetches i've never heard a single person grumble about that in any way and, and and i think sheldon mentioned that it was from a flavor standpoint it felt a little off mm-hmm. from a flavor standpoint i think he said that on like mtg salvation uh, forum or it didn't feel clean from a game design perspective or something i'm i'm not quoting him uh, Word for word, but that was the idea behind the reasoning. I'm not sure that it's from a gameplay standpoint. The weird
1: thing is that this does happen in in competitive gameplay as well. It's not like it's something that... I mean, I think if you're someone that likes flavor to the point where you would not do this, you're going to
2: self-police yourself anyway. Yeah, it feels like it's like they're saying, well, this is an unintended usage of this card in our format It reminds me. There's this book I read years ago, and I think it was called The Art of Winning, and it was by this guy who had been like a world class. You would read this book. Yeah, it was about. (laughs) It was about this guy. It was by this guy who had um, been like a world class. I think like street fighter Mm -hmm. player, like the video game. Nice. And he had a lot of. It it was very interesting from a like self improvement standpoint and and learning to win. Uh, standpoint and he talked about there was a character and i'm going to butcher this story a little bit but just to get the parameters of basically what it is there was a character and there was a bug in the game and the bug in the game created this move this character could pull off that seemed unbeatable Mm -hmm. and it was actually like not supposed to be in the game but what happened is there was a way to beat that specific move pretty easily once you learned it Mm -hmm. and so it started out as this bug but what it turned into is like a it created a skill gap and it was actually good for the game because the really good players would know how to beat that move. Right. And the others wouldn't. And it was unintended, but it actually was, was sort of good for the game. And the guy's point was, you know, just because something's not intended in game design doesn't mean that it actually detracts from the game. Right. I feel like our
1: format is one that rewards curiosity and poking around the edges and seeing what you can do. Yeah, exactly. Finding cards that aren't supposed to be good. Yes. Um, So I am personally very in disagreement with uh, whatever this potential ruling or rule is going to be, because I also know that there's a lot of people that have arguments for this and saying that, like, look, I'm running a deck that actually needs to play some of these off-color fetches to be a better deck, and it betters my chances at the table because it's one of the things that, like, my mana base isn't as fancy or whatever, but I need these fetches for this reason or whatever.
2: I also think if you want to do this from a flavor perspective and a game, from that, that uh, sort of angle of game design, there's another argument, which is that really the perfect game, whatever it is, would have the least amount of rules. Mm-hmm. And so a rule that is just another thing, it's just another parameter that people have to know and remember. And I hate the argument that gets thrown out all the time about any change in Magic or any game, which is like, new players, how are they going to... That's not the (laughs) argument I'm making because new players already have a million hurdles. What's one more? I just mean, in general, the larger the list of rules gets, the worse the game gets, in general. Yeah, yeah. And so if you're just adding rules that really... No one's really calling for, you know. No one's banging on the door, being like, "This rule needs to happen." The, this feels to me just unnecessary. It's not necessarily that it wouldn't that I disagree with the idea that flavor-wise, is it a little bit better? Sure, but yeah. do we need it? I think the only thing that really concerns me is like this
1: is the priority list. Yeah, that's exactly what I think. Come like, on, what about broken cards? What about cards that need banning? What about I don't know, toxic behavior? Like, isn't there isn't there other things to worry about? Yeah, I guess toxic behavior is not really in the realm of the rules committee, but still, I, there I, are
2: definitely cards I think that should probably be looked at. There are definitely other things that you know I would look at before the before the Mulligan and yeah. before the let's off-color take a nice fetches. hard
1: look at Narset before we talk about off color
2: fetches. Yeah, or maybe even like Cyclonic Rift yeah. or you know, there's just certain things, even Soul Ring to a certain degree, you know, Dead like Eye Navigator, yeah, Prophet the crew fix yeah, there are cards. Again, I'm, we're not saying ban all those cards or anything. We're just saying there are definitely, I don't know, there's areas I would look at before off-color yeah. fetches. Some people may love it, and I do get it. I do understand that flavor-wise, yes. I, I That argument totally makes sense. Yeah, playing Polluted Delta in my um, Azorius deck,
3: <laughs> it is
2: a little bit out of the spirit of EDH, but again, it does, like you said, it allows us to play in the realm on the edges and do some cool things, and really, from a brewer's perspective, that's what I want. Yeah, I agree. All, all right. right, Sheldon.
1: Good luck. Uh, we'll good luck s- to you. We'll see what happens. What comes down the pipeline. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we say now, <laughs> but maybe we can influence some more people out there to uh, to think to think about it. Um. All right. Oath of the Gatewatch. I'm time. ready to take the oath. Yes. Uh, how do they do it? The planeswalkers do it. They're kind of putting the hand up. Yeah,
2: it's like hand. It's almost like uh, raise your right hand. Do you swallow me? Swear.
1: Yeah, yeah. Other hand on the heart slash chest. Uh, at least that's what Gideon's doing.
2: Um, it wouldn't be in flavor if their other hand was on a Bible or something. <laughs> so <laughs> they're on. It's on their spark. Uh, um, to get into what we were talking about earlier, at the time of this recording, the entire set has not been spoiled yet. Most we're actually
1: like nine hours away from it.
2: Yeah. So and but Jimmy, you're going to GP Oakland. Yep. I won't uh, be here. So w- this is the recording schedule that we've got. I think it's not going to be a big deal. There might be a card or two. Mm-hmm. Mo- almost all the rares and and definitely all the mythics have been spoiled. Some yeah. of the uncommons and commons are still out there. So it's possible there may be a card or two that we miss. It's always possible, even always when the possible. whole set's spoiled, that we a, miss <laughs> a card. Yeah. There so. could be a treasure cruise lurking among the uh, the cards out there. You never know. So that's our uh, that's the caveat, is mm. that we wanted to do it a little bit early. We didn't want to wait till next week, but we may have a couple of cards that we don't talk about, in which case we will cover them next week. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about later how you can bring those to your, t- to our attention. If you think we should be talking about them.
1: Yeah. But these set reviews are to talk about the cards that jump out at us that are good or fun for our format. EDH slash commander. Commander um so we're gonna go down the list we're gonna talk about some of the new mechanics uh the new legendary creatures now of course we did have an episode where we discussed a lot of these because after the leak well it's kind of hard not to talk about the huge cards that came out
2: so we'll touch on them but uh just briefly yeah so you may hear us talk about cards we've already talked about in the past but we'll be more brief than those and if you want to hear more in depth then you can look at the past couple of episodes where we talk about them um let's talk about the new mechanics first
1: let's Talk about some mechanics. Uh, Surge is sort of the big one. Uh, Now, Surge... It's the cool one. It's the cool one, yeah. So, Surge is an alternative casting cost. Uh, It's located inside the text box, and it says, essentially, Surge, and then a cost. So, some generic mana, some colored mana. It's almost always
2: less than the actual casting cost of the spell.
1: Yep, and in parentheses, you may cast this spell for its Surge cost if you or a
2: teammate has cast another spell this turn. So... It's a two-headed giant mechanic. They've come out and said that's one of the focal points of Oath of the Gatewatch is Mm -hmm. to sort of encourage or expand two-headed giant play. But it also works in Commander in a couple ways. One is just that, in general, we're going to be able to cast two spells in a turn more often than the other formats. Mm -hmm. And then there's some debate. We've talked about this. I don't know. We've, we've sort of teased the idea of doing a, an episode about secret partners and we we've talked about us playing secret partners often and and we even sort of threw out the idea when we talked about one of the search cards in a previous episode about how that would work in secret partners and there's some debate about how it would work mm-hmm. I'm not sure but there mi- discuss they're it m- out. and people play like two-headed giant style uh, edh games where there's like three pairs of two yeah you know when you have six people because a six player game, is long and laborious and takes forever, so, so a lot of times it's better to just create, you know, three teams of two. Yeah. So in that case, surge would definitely work. Um, it's an interesting mechanic.
1: Yeah, it's interesting indeed. And of course, um, I think the best way to evaluate it when we get to it is uh, the sort of the cheapest card you can play that's not zero mana is going to be one. So I I would always add one card and one. Generic mana usually, or one colored mana, whatever it is, to the surge cost to sort of see what the quote unquote real price is. Because um, there just aren't that many, like Gataxium probes
2: or other zero mana cards that you're going to be casting very often. Yeah, good point. Um, the next mechanic is called Cohort. Cohort. Cohort is. It basically says tap the creature and then tap an untapped ally you control, and then you get some sort of effect. Mm-hmm. So it. Uh, well i'm gonna read drawn as chosen just so you get an idea it's three and a black it's a two two it says cohort tap the drawn is chosen and then tap an untapped ally you control so at the end of doing that you'll have two tapped creatures drawn is chosen and another ally and then you put a two two black zombie creature token onto the battlefield tapped so now
1: you have three tapped creatures yeah it's true <laughs> um so this screams instant speed by the way you are not supposed to do this uh, on your main phase yeah
2: exactly you could block with both of them then tap them make a two zombie and then untap with an extra zombie um yeah so that's how cohort works not very exciting
1: yeah i think it's uh it's like sort of the the ally ability that uh the original Zendikar set had uh, right um that we were missing in battle for Zendikar, so now it seems to be making an appearance here i love tap abilities i do too
2: but it's one ability that makes two creatures have to tap to do it, so the ability will have to be pretty good. Pretty good, yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, Next up, we have support, which is also sort of a core ally uh, ability. It
2: feels like bolster a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's definitely got that bolster feel. So it's a, it'll say support and then a number after it, and then in parentheses, put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to X other target creatures, whatever the support number was. Um, So, for instance, relief captain, uh, when it enters the battlefield, you support three. So up to three other target creatures. Can't target itself. Uh, you don't have to have three other creatures to do it as it's well. It's up to. Yeah, and you can also do it on the opponent's creatures. I don't know why you would, uh, unless maybe they're teammates. You may have an
2: alliance, too, yeah. in a normal multiplayer game. Yeah. So that's actually interesting. I hadn't thought of that, being able to put it on opponent's creatures. That might be good in some instance where you need to team up to take down the very powerful player, which happens all the time.
1: Yeah, and they just need to get a,
2: that one extra commander damage to kill them. Support. Yeah, 1-1 one, one, uh, one, one, one counter on Rafik is actually pretty good. Yeah, it's very good. So, yeah, okay. that's That makes me think it's better. Good job, Jimmy. I did it. You broke Shows it. Over. You broke support. Yeah.
1: Last but not least, we have, of course, Colorless Mana, uh, which we talked about in depth on our other episode, episode
2: 91, which is the last episode. Yeah, this is the diamond symbol... It's been retconned so that everything that produced uh, colorless mana, which was the number inside the gray circle before, um, that's in the text box, not in the casting cost. It yep. gets a little bit... It's hard to talk about, I find, but it's not actually hard to play with. Yeah. Anyway, so this is the first time we've had cards that actually specifically require colorless mana to to either activate or cast. Yeah, pretty really so exciting. exciting. Yeah, so that's, that's a cool thing, and a lot of the good cards from this set have colorless mana, Sort of required to either use them or cast them. It's going to be really interesting to see how easy it is to get your EDH deck to produce the amount of colorless mana that you need to justify having these cards in your deck.
1: Seems like it's going to be pretty easy. We all run different lands, uh, utility lands, and for the most part, those add colorless mana. So I think it is going to make the pain
2: lands a lot better and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Whereas you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to play a pain land necessarily before uh, you'd almost always even just rather have guild gates and stuff over stuff like that. But now those cards are actually better maybe than even like shock lands in mm-hmm. some instances. They, they're basically tri lands that come into play untapped. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, a loophole we talked about, but I'll cover it here really quick, just in case you didn't listen to the last couple episodes. If you're playing a green, let's say you're playing a green and red deck, maybe the new Omnath and really? you have a birds of paradise in that deck. You can actually tap that birds of paradise, declaring, that it will uh, tap for blue mana. Mm-hmm. And the commander rules say that you cannot produce mana of a color other than your general's color identity. If you do, it turns into colorless mana. And then so the Birds of Paradise would actually produce colorless mana in that instance. So it's five and a half colors that Birds of Paradise can make. But it won't work if your commander is Wooberg. Yeah. So if your commander is five color and you tap it for blue... You'll get blue. You'll get blue. You won't get colorless. Now maybe that's something the rules committee should look at because
1: that's interesting.
2: Uh, yeah i don't know again it's a sort of fringe case and i like fringe cases as like little tricks you can play yeah so that not? so that seems like something i'd like to keep but maybe something sheldon would not like to keep <laughs> well speaking
1: of uber commanders we have a couple of new legendary creatures we've talked about a couple of these already uh but the first one we have up uh it's Woberg. it's Wuburg, yeah and it's not Wuburg in the casting cost it's Wuburg in the text box so it is general tazri Four and a white for a legendary creature human ally. He's a 3-4. When General Tazri enters the battlefield, you may search your library for an ally creature card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. And if you pay Wooburg or white, blue, black, red, green, five mana total, ally creatures you control get plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of colors among those creatures. So at most, five. At the very least,
2: one. It's interesting... I mean, obviously, it speaks to a five-color ally deck, which probably there's enough support for now, barely. I would say, yeah. Um, you can also activate that twice, so you can give it like plus, plus 10, ten, plus yeah. ten for ten mana. It's an okay ability. Actually, the better ability is just basically the fetch uh, on the stick. Yeah, it's a well, it's a it's a ally tutor. Yeah, yeah. Ally tutor. You can flicker it. You can just cast it a few times because it's your commander. I mean i can't imagine there's a better commander for an ally deck
1: <laughs> there can't be unless you're not trying to play five color but
2: i mean this is it he's the general he's you almost the... want to play five color just so you can get enough allies to make an actual full deck yeah exactly um yeah that one's cool
1: yeah i dig it uh i don't know if i'll be making an ally deck anytime soon but i really did enjoy playing allies in modern masters one <laughs> just no so no, you know. no it's rebels dang it so it was close. rebels sorry rebels was awesome do we have a
2: five color rebel deck yet? i don't think so dang it maybe in uh shadows of Inishdra? there better be some rebels no, up there i don't think there are all right uh, i'll get there eventually eventually <laughs> eventually um linvala the preserver another linvala how another sweet. linvala this one's not as good i love the art though yeah the art is sick it's four and two white for a 5-5 five, five Flying Legendary Angel, so 6 mana 5-5 five, five is pretty good. When Linvala enters the battlefield, if an opponent has more life than you, you gain 5 life. Mm. Also, when Linvala enters the battlefield, if an opponent controls more creatures than you, put a 3-3 three, three White Angel Creature Token with Flying onto the battlefield. So, That's, it's kind of cool. If any opponent has more life than you, you gain five, 5 life. If any opponent has more creatures than you, it doesn't have to be the same one that had more life than you, then you get a 3-3 three, three Angel. This is a great flicker target.
1: Yeah, definitely a good flicker target. Um, it is a limited powerhouse. Holy moly!
2: Oh man, because if you're behind, you're immediately not behind anymore. And yeah. if you're ahead, then it's a five-five flyer for six. Yeah.
1: So no matter what, it's a pretty good card. Uh, I yeah, it's a great flicker target. I didn't even think about it like that. Um, it's
2: not. I don't. It might be fine as a mono whatever it's mono white you're gonna run ellish or you're not making mono white more Or the original linvala what's that guy where every time you take damage you make that many tokens that's that one's a pretty good um in mono white yeah that's a pretty good mono white oh player. yes he's a
1: uh is it thresh no not thresh it's no.
2: it's a guy it's a king yeah it's like drown drown near dr- i don't know <laughs> I have them in a couple token decks I don't have it de- whatever you're yelling at your radio or your your speaker right now whatever I got the card right i just don't know the name it's, yeah. it's fine um anyway I don't know that I would run linvala as my mono white commander over any of those no, definitely Ellis Norn's way better yeah <laughs> I mean Elish, she's she's kind of at the top yeah uh so but is I think good in inside the 99 of a lot of decks
1: yeah, especially like a rune deck or something. It's a great sort of utility creature to gain you life. And, you know, it's kind of yeah. nice. It's kind of got that, uh, that that five life is not inconsequential once you start flickering it. Uh, we got Kozilek, the Great Distortion. He's also doing the Oath of the Gatewatch thing. <laughs> sticking out of his hand oh man i never even realized well he's
2: that looks like with more ill intention than the others a, a tiny
1: bit of villain because there's like
2: light coming out of the hand also he's like i don't know i'm assuming 12 stories tall
1: yeah because he's a 12 12 um yeah. we talked about kozalik already eight uh colorless colorless for a 12 12 when you cast kozalik if you have fewer than seven cards in hand draw cards equal to the difference he has menace and you can discard a card
2: with converted mana cost x counter target spell with converted mana cost x so That's you draw cool. to you draw up to seven cards, and then you can counter anything that you can discard a card that has equal mana cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, seems very very good. Yeah, I
1: don't think we've seen many abilities that are similar to this either. So it's going to be variable how powerful it is. I think in a deck that just has a lot of cards in your hand, this is an awesome, awesome, cool thing to play.
2: Yeah, if you have twenty cards in your hand, then this is unstoppable because you can pretty much counter everything. You should be able to at least. Yeah, we. Uh, I would think this would be a really interesting commander card to play again there's two colorless it's eight diamond diamond i know some people don't like it when we say that but whatever diamonds are forever josh diamonds are forever um so it's it's going to be interesting to see is two colorless specifically required going to be difficult or is it going to be easy i'm guessing easy we'll see We'll see. I can you see def- it being an issue for two. Yeah.
1: If you do put this card in your deck that is not colorless, you'll definitely have to uh, take a look at your mana base to make sure you can support that kind of card anyway.
2: There's a mono black commander we did talk about. It's Kalitas, Traitor of Get. It's a 3-4 legendary creature for two and two black. has lifelink. Uh, oh, also it's a vampire warrior. If a non-token creature an opponent controls would die, instead you exile that card and put a 2-2 black zombie creature token onto the battlefield. And then you can play 2 in a black, sacrifice another vampire or zombie, and then put two-one-one one one counters on Kalita's trader of Get. So Interesting. Makes, so he can sort of eat the uh, tokens that you get from your opponent. Right. And you just get them if they die for any reason, your opponent's creatures that aren't yeah. tokens. Uh, now that's very powerful. That does seem super powerful because... It's not tapped. You exile
1: that card as well, by the way.
2: Yeah. This seems good. Mono Black is very strong. Probably the strongest Mono Color. Mm-hmm. So, but I could see a deck with Kalitas at the helm being strong as a token-type strategy. Totally. I could see it being great with Ghoul Color Gisa as well. Mm-hmm. He just got all kinds of fodder for him. I mean, it's just good with stuff like um, like uh, Merciless Executioner or Fleshbag Marauder, where you just, you just know they say how to sacrifice, and yeah. you just get three zombies out of it. And then you know if you start playing Grave Packs and stuff, all of a sudden you can be getting so many zombies. that's nutty yeah grave (laughs) pact with colitas uh, you can't see my hands but i'm reaching out towards Jimmy (laughs) like a zombie (laughs) (laughs) i'm just shaking my head uh (laughs)
1: next up we got joran n ruin diver who is a new is it a legendary creature interesting she is a one blue red for a two three legendary creature merfolk wizard whenever you cast your second spell each turn
2: draw a card interesting interesting now I misread this the first time, and there's another card like this. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, draw a card, which means you can draw a maximum of one extra card per turn with this card because your third spell will be your third spell. It won't be your second spell. Right. It's not for every spell you cast after After the first one, one, which makes it way worse. (laughs) Yeah. Because the first time I read it, I'm like, that card is insane. It is awesome. And then I was like, oh, one extra card per turn. If you do some work, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine it's fine it gives you value in a way that
1: edh screams to me being like you can do better
2: well it's a blue and red card you have blue
1: yeah you'll be you'll you can draw you can draw cards you no don't worry.
2: have problems drawing cards if you want you can draw as many cards as you as you feel like yeah totally um if it was like i don't know white and red oh boros <laughs> yeah all the help you can get if it was white and red and had the same ability awesome yeah so it wouldn't be in the color pie necessarily. Whatever. Anyway, so I think this card is actually not that great. A lot of people were like, this card's awesome. And I'm like, mm, I wouldn't even run it in, like say, Mizzix, which is the deck most likely to cast two spells every turn. I definitely would not run in Mizzix. Yeah, so. I'd rather run counter it just spells. just tells you it's not actually that good. Yeah, exactly. Um, two more. Alee Eternal Pilgrim, another card we talked about uh, in a previous episode. It's a black and a white for a 2-3 with Death Touch, a core cleric. You can pay one and sacrifice another creature. You gain life equal to the sacrificed creature's toughness. And then you can pay one, a white, and a black. Sacrifice another creature. Exile target non-land permanent. Activate this ability only if you have at least 10 life more than your starting life total. See, now that's pretty sweet. You just start exiling non-land permanents for three mana as soon as you get 250 life or more.
1: Yeah. Uh, notice how and me. you can
2: And she can gain life. She has it on her. Yeah. On the card, so.
1: Notice how she says at least ten life more than your starting life total. It used to, it would in the yeah. old days, it would just say if you have thirty life.
2: If only Sarah's ascendant had had the same type of wording. The oracle stuff. I don't understand why they haven't oracled that. Yeah, maybe that's a card that needs to. Uh, just oracle it.
1: Take. Get, I don't get, understand. Get a look taken at it. Like yeah.
2: if you say I can oracle things, then why not oracle things? Or if you especially say especially a card like that, yeah. Or if you say I'm not going to oracle stuff. Fine, then you don't have to. But you've opened the door to the fact that cards can be oracled. So why isn't that card oracled? Yeah. I don't get it.
1: It's a six-six for one mana that flies and has lifelink. Get out of town, guys! You can get play it in town. turn one in EDH and just probably dominate the board to the point where you are just sitting comfy. For the, the funny rest of
2: the thing game. is, if you're playing with, uh, if you're playing a three-player game, that's broken. As soon as you get to four players, it's like it's fine. Yeah, you're still probably not going to win. That's our format. I love our format. Lull
1: them into a false sense of security. Uh, Finally, we have Mina and Den Wildborn. We also talked about this card. Two, a red and a green for a 4-4 legendary creature elf ally. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. And for red and a green, return a land you control to its owner's hand. Target creature gains trample until end of turn. So it's kind of like reverse landfall. But this also works for landfall when you don't have uh, anything else to play. You can play an extra land drop. You get that landfall trigger. Yep. You can and, and do this on your main phase. Azusa
2: is already a really good deck, right? Yeah. And all Azusa does is allow you to play the extra land per turn. Mm-hmm. Um, So this just lets you play red in that deck. So it just adds a color. I think this card is very good. I think it's very good as well. I would, And it has the gravy of that extra ability, which is bounce a land to your hand and play it again.
1: Yeah. The trample is always relevant, I think, in commander, especially in red and green, when you're trying to beat people's faces in with Xenagos and all that good stuff. So I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Mina and Den, Wildborn.
2: Yeah, I think that card's going to be pretty good. I think decks built around that card will be strong. I mean, any, any commander that has one of our two pillars of the format, Card Jar or Mana Ramp on it, mm-hmm. is very good, and that it has Mana Ramp, and it has the best kind of Mana Ramp cheating lands into play. Yep. All right, let's talk about the new Planeswalkers. We've already talked about both these cards. Again, we will uh, briefly touch on them. The first one is Nissa, Voice of Zendikar. 1 and 2 green for a 3 loyalty Planeswalker Nyssa. Her plus 1 is put a zero one green plant creature token onto the battlefield. Her minus 2 is put a 1-1 one one counter on each creature you control. Ooh. And her minus 7 is you gain X life and draw X cards where X is the number of lands you control. These are all pretty relevant abilities. Um... Yeah, they're all relevant. Make dudes, buff dudes draw a bunch of cards and gain a bunch of life.
1: Yeah. And by the point she's at 7, if you just if you manage to tick her up, you should be putting probably like 7 to 8 to 9 creatures onto the uh, I
2: mean gaining 7 to 8 to 9 life, drawing a bunch that many cards. Yeah, even if it's just 5 or 6, it's pretty great. Yeah. It's exactly. hard for it to be less than 5 because she costs 3. It's very hard for her to get there though. From 3 to 7, that's a big jump. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I she's not it's not super win the game style ultimate where people will feel like oh my gosh we can't let them ultimate like there's yeah. some commanders where if you ultimate it everyone knows they just cannot win whereas it's not that different than you playing a consecrated sphinx really or one sphinx's revelation good old sphinx's revelation yes but people don't play sphinx's revelation and then everybody at the table says we cannot win i mean yeah. sometimes they do but not all the time um yeah and she's sort of an awakening zone because you can just put her out and then plus one her and make zero ones. Now they don't sacrifice for mana. They're not as good as Eldrazi spawn, but still. Yeah. And she synergizes with herself because the negative two plus her negative two puts a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control, which are going to be the zero ones you put out. Yeah. Plus any other creatures you happen to play.
1: Yeah, I i would I would certainly play her in standard. I think she definitely fits into certain EDH decks as well, and she's cheap three-mana Planeswalker. That, uh, you don't see that too often, so that's always a, something to keep, take note of.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great thing is that she costs only three mana because so often turn three is just sort of nothing important happens, and if yeah. you get a Planeswalker started that early, sometimes it might be turn five or six before anybody can really respond to it, and by then... You're good to go. You might be ultimating or you might be... Yeah. Yeah,
1: it, it seems good. Yeah. Next up, we got Chandra Flamecaller, uh, and this is an expensive one, four red-red for a Planeswalker, so six mana on the higher cost of things. She comes down with four loyalty counters. Uh, her plus one, put two, three, one red elemental creature tokens with haste onto the battlefield, and you exile them at the beginning of the next end step. Her zero, discard all the cards in your hand, then draw that many cards plus one, and her minus X, Chandra Flamecaller, deals X damage to each creature. So you can do it for four as soon as she drops, Or three, or two, or one. This card seems very, very good. Yeah, I think this is an amazing EDH card. The second ability where
2: you just get to draw cards is nutty. You Wheel of Fortune... Well, no, it's draw as many cards as you have plus one. So you... Winds of Change plus a card. That seems great. It's card draw. It's card cycling and also card draw because you're one card up after that. The negative X is a board wipe. Yep. That's great. So we've got card draw and board wipe, which are two... Pillars of the format. And actually I think the plus one's a little better than it looks. Because you're playing red. You might have things like goblin bombardment. You might have things like Ashnod's Altar for Xing Altar. Like just creating two creatures that you can then, even if you don't attack, you might use them for a sacrifice outlet. Yeah. With Ashnod's altar out, her plus one says add four colorless mana to your mana pool. I mean that would be a very broken plus one on any planeswalker. Yeah, absolutely. So um I don't know. I think Shandra's going to go in a whole bunch of red decks, and I think she's
1: awesome. Absolutely. Okay, next up we have an oath cycle. Uh, this is kind of cool. Um, this I is love the one cycles. we were talking about
2: where they've got their right hand raised and their left hand to their... Yeah. Not always to their heart. Sometimes it's someplace else.
1: And if you guys have seen the splash art for uh, the set, also on cards like Zendikar or Resurgent, uh, these oaths represent the four planeswalkers that are, I guess... I don't know the story here exactly, but taking an oath to defeat the Eldrazi is what I'm assuming. Oh,
2: is that why we don't have a black one? I think that's why. Because is not in the set.
1: No. And and, they don't want to
2: do Oath of
1: (laughs) (laughs) Obnixilis. He's just sitting there like, Hiding in the background, no one
2: noticing that he's there. It's because everyone's like, he's like, I'll take, he's like, I'll take the oath, and they're like, no, what? no, 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 we were just fighting you. What are you but, doing here? No one would trust your oath, dude.
1: <laughs> he's like, precisely, <laughs> I, I will take the oath. <laughs> you can't even put your hand on the Bible. All right, uh, so starting, There's no Bible, there is no Bible. You can't even. You tried to kill me yesterday. Yeah. Oath of Gideon two and a white a legendary enchantment. When the Oath of Gideon enters the battlefield. Put two 1-1 one one white core ally creature tokens onto the battlefield. Each Planeswalker you control enters the battlefield with an additional
2: loyalty counter. Hmm. So it's like a mini doubling season. It's like hardened scales for, for Planeswalkers. Walkers, yeah, specifically Planeswalkers. I mean, and it makes two 1-1s, one so now, it's not completely worthless.
1: <laughs> would this actually plus doubling season and make them enter with uh, their
2: starting loyalty plus 1 times 2? Yeah. Interesting. Because it wouldn't matter what order you do that in, right? If Let's say Nyssa, she comes in with three. Mm -hmm. Doubling season would make it six. Plus, you would get the extra one, which doubling season would double and make it two. So, she'd come in with eight. Yeah. So, it's four to eight, no matter what. Three to six plus two. Yeah. Um,
1: That seems very good. Oath is really good in standard because you play this turn three. Turn four, you drop the real Gideon. You ultimate him because now he's going to stay alive. And now you got two two two-twos and then... A Gideon that's ultimated at one.
2: Wow, that is really good.
1: Yeah, it seems pretty
2: interesting. I would. Uh, that's I think a... it's good in EDH too. Yeah, I agree. Because it's going to go in super Friends decks. And and spoiler alert, um, all these oaths of whatever they're all legendary enchantments, and they all have to do with planeswalkers. Yeah. So your super friends decks are going to. It's possible they'll run multiple of of these different oaths. Um, the next one is Oath of Jace, two in a blue for a legendary enchantment. When Oath of Jace enters the battlefield, draw three cards, then discard two cards.
3: Hmm.
2: And then at the beginning of your upkeep, scry X, where X is the number of Planeswalkers you control. <laughs> this is okay. It's not as good as Gideon, I don't think. You basically yeah, draw. So. A, you you get some card selection. Uh, you sort of loot twice and draw a card, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then it, you could scry... I don't know. I mean if you've got three planeswalkers on the battlefield, you're gonna win. So I don't know what scrying three really helps you there. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, you're gonna scry like two. Scry one. You're playing blue because you were playing Oath of Jace. Yeah. You're probably playing the other Jace's. All of them draw you cards. I don't know if scrying one or two on top of that, you're again you're playing blue. I just this card seems not very good. I don't think it's going to warrant a slot in the deck. No,
1: I mean, the draw three cards, then discard two cards is just mediocre. Uh, Discarding two is not a fun time, I'll say that much. I mean, would you rather just divination? That's the same cost, and you just straight up draw two cards. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the thing is, waiting for an upkeep trigger in the multiplayer game is really not where you want to be at in EDH.
2: Well, and that upkeep trigger is only good if you have a lot of Planeswalkers out, but I don't know how many games where you have a lot of Planeswalkers out that you care if you're scrying. You have a lot of Planeswalkers out. Yeah, not a good time. I mean, you're either winning or you don't have a lot of Planeswalkers unless you're not winning, but then the scry doesn't even happen because you don't have a lot of Planeswalkers. Yeah. I don't want one of these that requires me to have a lot of Planeswalkers. I want one of these that helps my Planeswalkers when I when I use them or play them like Gideon.
1: Yeah. Uh, you're going to love this next one. Oath of Chandra. One in a red for a legendary enchantment. When Oath of Chandra enters the battlefield, it deals three damage to target creature and opponent controls. At the beginning of each end step, okay. If a planeswalker entered the battlefield under your control this turn, oh, Oath of Chandra deals two damage to each opponent. It's like the worst. To each opponent, it doesn't even hit creatures. It's like the worst Perforos.
2: It's wow. Ever been. This Oath of ba- Chandra is not for Commander. <laughs> it is not. I don't even know if it's for Standard. It's for. Is it even for Limited? In Limited, it's just it's just a two mana two three, mana three damage three damage sorcery speed. You'll never do the second part. Yeah. Yep. That card's bad. It's bad. This last one, though, I like. Oath of Nyssa. Well, it costs one green, so it's already pretty good. (laughs) When Oath of Nyssa enters the battlefield, look at the top three cards of your library. You may reveal a creature land or planeswalker card from among them and put it into your hand, and then the rest go on the bottom of your library in any order. So it replaces itself unless you whiff. Uh, and then you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast Planeswalker spells. Oh yeah. This is great in the super friends. Again, yeah. it doesn't require you to be already winning to be useful. Yeah. See oath of Nissa is the kind of
1: card that you want to play. Cause it's one, mana. one mana and immediately replaces itself. Yeah. For for the most part it should. I mean, if you're not finding a creature or land or, or Planeswalker, Planeswalker, then you know, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, then you built that deck wrong. Yeah. Or you're getting unlucky. Uh, you, just pu- you, you you do it, and you just get Doubling Season, and you're like, no! <laughs> no! <laughs>
2: Please, my super friends. Uh, and then the next part of just fixing your mana, again, it's a super friends. So, yeah, I yeah, like that. Yeah, and some Planeswalkers, like Sorin,
1: one of the Sorens costs three black uh, in his mana cost. So I, I definitely would want an Oath of Ness in my deck because that's like a card you actually have to put different lands in your deck to play because <laughs> yeah, it's true. so hard to get out there in, in a five-color deck like that.
2: All right, now we're going to go through colors in no particular order. We'll start with blue. Uh, sphinx of the final word we talked about a couple episodes back, but we'll talk about it again briefly. It's um, five and two blue, so seven mana total for a 5-5 flying Sphinx with hexproof. It says Sphinx of the final word can't be countered. So it can't be countered and it has hexproof. Those two things seem good. It also says instant and sorcery spells. You control can't be countered by spells or abilities, so all your instants and sorceries are uncounterable. While Sphinx of this final word is out, and he's hexproof himself, so it's and hard to he get can't rid be countered.
1: Yeah, this is actually cool. I would see it as an enchantment, uh kind of for the yeah. most part. Although it would be really good of his enchantment because makes it super hard to remove. Yeah, but the fact that it's a flying hexproof five five. Uh, for 7 that has an ability that affects every single instant sorcery in your in your deck. I think that's pretty powerful.
2: Yeah, it seems good. I wish it were in like um what's the other like can't be color countered colors like green white. Mm-hmm. It feels like blue of all the colors doesn't need an effect that stops its stuff from being countered. It's blue. They can just it can yeah, they're playing the counters. Yeah. It, the other colors are the ones where they need more tools against spells, cuz the Mother May I decks are very powerful in our format, and they can dominate a table. And so, Dromoka type cards are are good. And I feel like the other colors are the colors that need that. Um, anyway, this might be this is probably like a control card in standard.
1: Yeah, I I don't know if I would play it necessarily. I think it's going to depend on the deck if you want to play this card or not, and also the meta because if you're just constantly being countered. Sphinx of the Final Word is like the final word, you know. I mean? Again,
2: but you're playing blue,
1: so you you weren't the one worried about getting countered. You were the guy countering stuff. True, but maybe at that point you're just trying to resolve your big stuff and tap out. <laughs> maybe who knows. Uh, next up, we have Crush of Tentacles. We already talked about this one a little bit for blue blue. It's our first surge card. Uh, it's a sorcery, but you can surge it for three blue blue. So again, if you cast or you or a teammate cast another spell, then you get to cast it for the surge cost, which is a little cheaper. Uh, return all non-land permanents to their owner's hands if a tentacle surge cost was paid. Put an 8-8 blue octopus creature token onto the battlefield. Now, that's just powerful by itself without the octopus.
2: Yeah, just Even return all well. permanents to their owner's hand or non-land permanents is very, very strong. I already play, like, Evacuation, which returns all creatures to their owner's hand or... um. What's the one that returns all non-Kraken, Leviathan, Sea Monsters? Whelming, Whelming Wave. wave. Yeah. yeah. I play that too. Just because Blue doesn't have a lot of board wipes. And so sometimes you just want to hit that reset button. And also Blue oftentimes is playing a lot of instants and sorceries and not as many permanents. Yeah. So Crusher Tentacles just seems awesome because every once in a while you're like, oh, but I also just get an 8-8. Yeah, you're always going to want to have this kind of effect in your decks. Yeah. Uh, that's why we play that great card, uh, Cyclonic Rift. Yeah. Now, uh-huh. Cyclonic Rift only hits your opponent's stuff, which is why it's so awesome. But right. even just doing everything is... I mean, Wrath of God kills your own creatures, too. So, And we play that all the time or that type of effect. Yeah. This is Blue's equivalent. But like I said, sometimes you just also get an 8-8. Seems good. Seems good. Uh, give, that, give that 8-8 a little octopus token in mizzix this only costs blue blue so i don't even care if i surge it i mean i want the 8 eight, but <laughs>
1: you're you gonna will. get
2: the surge cost anyway because it's true because you you're casting can cast a billion spells, your other yeah. card costs only red or only blue um the next one is really interesting and i bring it up because there's a fun challenge here it's called hedron alignment it's two and a blue for an enchantment <laughs> these cards don't come out very often either and this when they one's do... weird Reddit goes a fight because they're just like, oh, we got to figure this out immediately. Yeah. Everyone's trying to crack the code on this one. This is like the imitation game, but for magic. Yeah. Not for like World War II. Um, Hedron Alignment, two in a blue for an enchantment. It has hex proof. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may reveal your hand. If you do, you win the game if you own a card named Hedron Alignment in exile, in your hand, and in your graveyard, and on the battlefield. <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta have one. You have to have a hedron alignment in your hand, in exile, in the graveyard, and on the battlefield. If That's you four do, of you win the game. um It also has an activated ability of pay one in a blue to scry one. So it's not just completely worthless. I'm straight up opening four of these at the pre-release. I can call. I'm calling it now. Well, then you play all four of them in your deck, and you have a chance to win the game. You with have them. a chance to win yeah. the game yeah. with them. And, oh, what sucks man. is if you only open three at the pre-release because yeah. you can't win the game with them. No. Listen, the challenge here, because there's no way we can have more than one in our deck in EDH, is can you ever win with this card in EDH? There has to be a way. It's probably involved stealing the enchantment from somebody else. From someone else, yeah. Copying copying it, yeah. That's only three, though.
1: You have to have a copy on the battlefield, bounce it to your hand somehow. Clever impersonate it. Yeah, that's right. Clever impersonate it and then have the real one back in your hand. No, how is one exiled? I, I have no idea. There's no way. Maybe that's the one that has to. But in your hand, it's going to be not uh, the heater
2: and the limelight. No, yeah. It. It's a clever impersonator or it's a copyright.
1: Challenge solved. It's
2: impossible. D- nothing's impossible. That's right. Prove us wrong, I listeners. don't know why I said that in Batman voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, that okay. That's hilarious, though. But it's I, fun to talk about. I, that is a fun card to talk if about. If you have a way to do it, tweet it at us for sure.
1: Yeah, people were talking about <laughs> like turn zero or turn one wins in modern and stuff with this, and uh, the hands they had to make to make it happen were pretty nutty. <laughs> uh, overwhelming Denial, two blue-blue instant with a surge cost of blue-blue. Hmm, some spells in Magic's history cost blue-blue. Uh, so you can play the surge cost if you play another spell uh, that's turn. Overwhelming Denial can't be countered by spells or abilities. Counter target spell.
2: So even at two blue-blue, it's a counter spell that can't be countered is pretty good. Yeah, you just know it's gonna get through it's kind of like it has um split second not exactly the same but similar
1: yeah it's definitely not a cheap counter spell but the fact that you can't be countered when you try and counter something it's almost like split second yeah I like yeah. It.
2: it yeah um, I
1: don't know when you're gonna be playing another spell and
2: countering something in the same turn but even like I said for two blue blue it's it's fine you could always just yeah. be like I don't know I brainstorm now I do that
1: I could see someone you you playing a spell at the end someone's end step someone being like oh no I'm gonna counter that and then you overwhelming denial them. Right. For its surge cost.
2: But a lot of times people just sort of like save up for this moment and they have a counterspell in their hand or two yeah. counterspells or five counterspells. And then they do their big thing and they back it up with all these counterspells. And this way you don't have to have one more counterspell than they do. You just have to have this counterspell. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty good.
1: Shut it down, Overwhelming Denial.
2: Shut it down. I don't know why I went into Sean Connery when I said that. <laughs> This card is super freaking interesting. Now, I don't know how to break it, but I'm pretty sure there's probably a way to do it. I'm pretty sure there's probably. Good job, Josh. You're pretty Um, sure. I'm pretty sure that it always works sometimes. Inverter of Truth. Two black black for a 6-6 flying creature Eldrazi. It has Devoid, so this card has no color. When Inverter of Truth enters the battlefield, exile all cards from your library face down. Then shuffle all cards from your graveyard into your library. Whoa. So you take your graveyard, it becomes your library, and your library becomes your exile. So, yeah, that's crazy. Uh,
1: now, I understand why this is a 4-6-6, six, six, because usually you're going to die real soon. You're going to deck yourself if you're not careful.
2: Yeah, I mean, especially in, like, limited or standard or something where, like, you know, maybe you got six or seven cards in your graveyard if you're lucky. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be
1: interesting. I uh, believe this works well with, like, Lab Maniac, right? true because that's just a faster way to get to deck yourself
2: yeah if you had zero cards in there yeah even if you did have a couple of cards
1: you have some ways of drawing those cards anyway and then you know you'll maybe win i don't know
2: yeah i want to hear everybody's crazy um ways to take advantage of this i i I know there are some you could probably use like a bojuka bog type effect on yourself Mm -hmm. right before you did this with lab maniac so that you exile your own graveyard and then um, and then you cast this and you have no graveyard, so your library just gets exiled and then you have no library. Yeah. And then you win with Lab Mani- Maniac, something like that. It, I'm wondering if there's ways to take advantage of it that don't have to do with Lab Maniac. I'm interested to see.
1: Uh, I guess you could also stop the Enter to the Battlefield ability, but then you're just getting a 4-mana 6-6 six,
2: six in the EDH, which is just like meh. Because you can get a 1-mana 6-6 six, six Flyer with Lifelink. Oh, right. Sarah Ascendant. Forgot all about that card until you mentioned that.
1: Yeah.
2: So 4-mana 6-6, man.
1: Yeah. yeah. All right, we got the Sifter of Skulls up next. 3 and a black for a creature Eldrazi. It's devoid. The card has no color. It's a 4-3. Whenever another non-token creature you control dies, put a 1-1 one, one colorless Eldrazi Scion creature token onto the battlefield that has Sacrifices creature add colorless to your mana pool. Holy moly
2: that's cool yeah so this is just like um what's the what's the other one same effect it's like pawn of ulamog or something pawn of ulamog yes yeah so it's the same card uh just costs one more and it's a little bit bigger but it's definitely playable in edh because pawn of ulamog is playable in edh mm. so there you well, go
1: pawn counts itself when it dies uh, um and sifter but doesn't this however gives you one ones so
2: so slightly better yeah um yeah. Oh, this next one's interesting. We had somebody ask us on Twitter about it. Remorseless punishment. Three black, black for a sorcery. Target opponent loses five life unless that player discards two cards or sacrifices a creature or planeswalker and then repeat this process once. Hmm. Um, I wish it were all players or all opponents. That'd all opponents seems too good. All yeah. players, though, so that's yourself. Otherwise, I think it's probably too low impact unless you play a lot of 1v1 or maybe three player.
1: I mean, the thing is, you're going to choose to lose the five life more often than not. So it's it's like 10 life, big deal. Yeah, it's like, woohoo. It's like, are you going to, and maybe sacrifice a token? I don't know. I mean, it's a pretty low effect, I think, in EDH just because people have ridiculous things going on at all times.
2: Yeah, yeah. And any card where your opponent gets to choose is usually a lot less powerful, because they'll just choose the least bad thing in that instant. Yeah. So if they're at 10 them. life, they won't lose 10 life. Mm-hmm. They'll sacrifice creatures and stuff. Yeah. So Remorse's Punishment, I don't think... It's just an interesting card, but I don't think it's probably don't think it good. gets there.
1: Yeah. All right, let's talk about the color green and uh, the start of the creature that technically has no color. It's Worldbreaker, 6 in the green for a creature Eldrazi, devoid. It's a 5-7, seven, so 7 mana 5-7. When you cast Worldbreaker, exile target artifact, enchantment, or land. Uh, the card also has reach and an ability: two and a colorless mana, sacrifice a land, return Worldbreaker from your graveyard to your hand. So Worldbreaker comes back for more. He wants to keep breaking the world. And the big thing is, is it's a cast ability, so it's not an end of the battlefield ability. For seven mana, no matter what, pretty much uh, you are going to exile an artifact, enchantment, or land.
2: I think the recursion makes this pretty good. Yeah. Again, you do have to be able to produce the colorless diamond mana, and you have to sack a land. But, yeah, it sort of does uh, an acidic slime type deal when it comes in. Um, yeah, it's not a cheap card to play, 7 mana. but 5-7 yeah. d- with reach, at least it's going to block almost anything.
1: I find that you will always want to do one of the effects that it's asked, telling you to do. Target or artifact land. enchantment or land. Yeah, yeah, the land's pretty sweet. And it's exiled, so that, that is relevant.
2: Yeah, actually that's a really good point. The fact that it does exile is is super relevant. Um yeah, I like this card. I think it will see some play. It's not amazing. Yeah, I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't be unhappy opening it, I don't think. Uh the next one is Zendikar Resurgent. It's five and two green for an enchantment. Whenever you tap a land for mana, add one mana to your mana pool of any type that land produced, so it Miraris wakes in that way. It doesn't give the Uh, anthem effect but it does say whenever you cast a creature spell draw a card yeah that's cool seven mana enchantments though pretty
1: expensive uh mirari's wick is only five mana which is why it's so ridiculous however the doubling mana ability is always important
2: yeah if you can if you can get this off and then untap you're in a commanding position because you have double the amount of mana and anytime you cast a creature you're going to draw a card yeah so you're going to be able to use that mana to cast another creature to draw another card maybe Um, yeah yeah it's true so it does sort of snowball on itself i think this card is very powerful and it's in green so your chances of getting to seven mana at a reasonable time is pretty good i don't know i think this card is very good yeah i could i
1: I think you're going to play it in a lot more decks than you would expect um and and also this kind of ability
2: hasn't been around uh, for a while We haven't seen this in standard for a while i mean usually it's all players you know, yeah. the types of cards we've seen in Theros or whatever are like everybody's mana, or mana lands just tap for double mana now. Mm-hmm. Not just yours. So, it's very like Mirari's Wake. Uh, it costs two more mana, but it does the draw card ability instead of the Anthem effect. I think the draw card ability is actually better in the Ancient of the Anthem effect. Yeah, very possibly. Yeah. Us. And it's not a gold card. Yeah. So, it's more powerful just by nature.
1: Yeah. Uh, next up, we've got Sylvan Advocate, one in the green for a 2-3. Oh, boom. Sold. Boom. It's a Bing. elf-druid ally Bing. with vigilance, and as long as you control six or more lands, Sylvan Advocate and land creatures you control get plus two, plus two.
2: So this is a landlord. Mm. Landlord. Landlord. It's going to up your rent. <laughs> hey, land. Best I could come up with. You, you make sure you tap for that mana this month a uh, land it's uh it's the seventh and uh j- just drop it on my in my inbox on the it's way it's a pain land like it hurts man it hurts <laughs> it every hurts, time man. um yeah so this is pretty interesting and we're seeing a lot more land decks mm-hmm. because of awaken and because of stuff like Noyanda- Noyandar dar and, yep. and um yeah i don't know i can see this seeing play in those land decks yeah, and uh,
1: just a 2-mana two 2-3 two, Vigilant is pretty good by itself. When that's it becomes a 4-5, that's even better.
2: Good good value.
1: Oh, what what else? What else is the 2-mana
2: 4-5? 2-mana 4-5? Tarmogoyf. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> good point, good point. I'm like, there's no 2-mana 4 f- Yeah, that's why that card's so expensive. Thank you.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, this next one... <laughs> <laughs> i'm only gonna read it because in italian i think it's italian oh
1: yeah someone tweeted us this it's redentore Malin- maligno maligno wait malingo
2: but it looks like Mal- mingo malingo it's very close to mingo malingo it's basically mingo malingo <laughs> it's 100% mingo malingo i mean never mind that the translation is vile redeemer that's yeah. just the um that's the alias that uh mingo goes by that's his like it's like his boxing name, <laughs> Mingo Val Redeemer Malingo. And then let's then the, get ready to rumble.
1: And it's and it's always cast in. Uh, that's pretty good. actually. Thanks. I I like languages. Uh, that
2: sounded more like Spanish than Italian. But
1: yeah, that's true. I definitely read it with a Spanish accent. Sorry if I offended anybody. Well, no. we're
2: in LA. We hear a lot of Spanish. Yeah, that's true. Um,
1: uh, the card's okay though.
2: It's two and a green for a three three Eldrazi with the void. Has Flash. When you cast Val Redeemer, you may pay a colorless mana, a diamond mana. If you do put a one one colorless Eldrazi cyan token creature onto the battlefield. Um so it's for uh, every
1: creature that died, right, this turn. For
2: oh sorry. Yeah. For, for... each non token creature that died under your control this turn. Meh. So you board wipe yourself and play this thing and be like, what? Look at all my 1-1s. One well, it has flash. Somebody else could board wipe you. That's
1: true. Yeah. You could also uh, have a sack outlet. Um, people are saying it's going to be good in the rally decks
2: and standard because mm. you're you're already sacking a bunch of stuff in go Husks. Oh, I could see. This is probably really good in a Maseric deck because mm-hmm. you just go sack, 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 cast this and then pay the extra colorless and then you get a bunch of Eldrazi signs that you can, you know, six or seven then you can sack again. Yeah, totally. Uh, that seems good. Yeah.
1: Good job, Malingo. You Good job, it. Mingo Malingo. Yeah, whoever tweeted this, I forgot your name, but uh,
2: I, I cracked up laughing when I saw it. So. I probably, I never probably would have known otherwise, so thank you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You've made my day. You made my day. Bond I mean, week, year, we- year, something. He 2015, made your 25- though. Oh. It was last year, mm. sorry. Yeah.
1: Almost. Bonds of Mortality, one in a green for an enchantment. When Bonds of Mortality enters the battlefield, draw a card, sounding better every day uh, for green. Uh, You just pay it. Creatures your opponent's control lose, hexproof, and indestructible until end of turn. What?
2: (laughs) This is sweet. This card is sweet. It's one and a green, and when you play it, you draw a card. So there's no downside. It's a two-mana cantrip. There's no downside
1: whatsoever. There's, I mean, there's the the downsides of having to play another card in your deck that you may not... But it doesn't matter because it doesn't take up a slot because it cantrips. Well, it technically, it always will take up a slot, Josh. All right. <laughs> no, this is sweet, though. Uh, indestructible and Hexproof on a la- on an enchantment for one green total. Just a green? It doesn't even take it from your creatures, too. So it just... Yeah. Oh, this card is good. Yeah, Avison comes down. The person thinks they're amazing and indestructible. And this card it
2: definitely just puts it in their face. It says, nope. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, this card is going in a lot of green decks. Because green has a problem with indestructible in general mm-hmm. uh seemed great yeah i like the card the next one is embodiment of insight four and a green for a four four elemental with vigilance it says land creatures you control have vigilance so it's also sort of a landlord and then landfall whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control you may have a target land you control become a three three elemental creature with haste until end of turn it's still a land Jeez, um, and you can tap it for mana and your second main phase if it doesn't die because it has vigilance, yeah, and also it gives all your land creatures vigilance. This is just another card that goes in that I'm I'm making an entire deck that's whole purpose is to turn my lands into guys. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna draft this highly. In in it seems really good. It's a five mana living. four four with vigilance. Seems really good. Yeah, uh, it seems awesome.
1: Oh, we are on to the greatest color that's ever been made, <laughs> red. Tom, baby, we're gonna start bing. things off with bing. Cause Alex return bing two in a red for an instant devoid this card There's no color kozilek's return as an instant deals two damage to each creature all right whenever you cast an odrazi creature spell with converted mana cost seven or greater you may exile kozilek's return from your graveyard if you do kozilek's
2: return deals five damage to each creature whoa that's kind of cool this card seems really good yeah. um The two damage to each creature, normally that's an effect you sort of want, but you just don't want to pay the price of having a card that only does that in your deck because you're going to draw it later and it's just not going to do a ton. Mm -hmm. But this one, if that happens, you can still activate the bigger portion of it and get a sort of bigger board wipe that does five or more. And five or more is pretty good. It's going to get most things. Yeah. And it's not going to get the seven mana cost thing you just cast. Well, it's and also it's because free.
1: it's yeah because it's when you cast it, so it's yeah. not it hasn't even hit the battlefield. Oh,
2: true. They can't counter it.
1: It's a board wipe. They can't counter right. Yeah, the pretty much because you exile it. Yeah, it's when you cast they'll draws creature spell.
2: That's a very good point. So it gets countered. You're like, fine, they'll play an Eldrazi, and you then, then you'll take more then damage. You'll... Yeah, exactly. Rawr. Um, I think this card's really good. I think it's going to be really good in other formats also.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, I I love the flavor of this card. It's like Coslicks here does two damage,
2: and then he's coming back. He's going to do even more. He reminds me of one of those League of Legend characters that like pops out of the ground or just jumps and lands on you. Yeah. And like stuns everything in the area. Jarvin status. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So it seems good. I like it. Seems I think good. it's gonna see quite a bit of play. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I that. mean in, in EDH. The next one is called I'm I'm looking for it. Where the heck did it go? It's called Goblin Dark Dwellers. It's it's the red um, Snapcaster. <laughs> <laughs> but it costs three and two red. So it's five mana four four goblin has Menace. When Goblin Dark Dwellers enters the battlefield, you may cast target Instant or Sorcery spell... Or sorry, Instant or Sorcery card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. Okay. If that card would be put into your graveyard this turn, exile it instead. So you basically flash back an Instant or Sorcery with CMC three or less.
1: For free, which is nice. Um, so the the, the the five mana cost to pay, pay for this guy, I guess, kind of covers that.
2: Yeah, I, I think... I think this is going to be good. We've, we've always talked about on the show. We mentioned it at least once every show, sometimes more, that the powerful things m- usually in EDH that you can do almost always have to do with the cheating of mana costs. Mm-hmm. And this is cheating of mana costs because it's casting something for quote-unquote free. Um, this technically uh, combos with uh, Kozilek's Return, too. Yep. Because you can just cast
1: it and do two damage. Again, you, you won't get the Eldrazi trigger off it, but if your deck's not playing Eldrazi, then that's just
2: sweet. Although, if you're just not playing Eldrazi, don't play Kozilek's Return. <laughs> but there might be points where you're like, I just want it now and I can do that. But also, just like, you know, Brainstorms and stuff are fine with this card. Oh, just yeah. additional value. But there's going to be better ways to use it, too. So
1: Yeah, I'm interested to see if the uh, people are going to combo off with it in standard. It seems a little expensive for the other formats.
3: It's a
2: five-minute 4-4 four, four with Menace. It's not that bad. And you get... Let's assume that you cast a 3-CMC three, three, three spell with it. Mm-hmm. So it's a 2-mana 4-4 with Menace? Yeah. I mean, if you cast a... What's the new hero? Ruinous Path? Yeah. With it? Is that pretty good? Destroy a creature, get a 4-4 with Menace?
1: That's very good.
2: So I can see this being used.
1: Let's go for it.
2: Let's go for it. I mean, I'm not a standard expert, so (laughs) there's a lot of people probably like, that's not good. Okay, fine.
1: All right, Embodiment of Fury is up next. It's 3 and ready for a creature elemental, 4-3. Land creatures, oh, another lord, you control, have trample. Okay. All right. Uh, landfall, whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may have target land creature. you can uh, Land you control, play a 3-3 three, three elemental creature with haste until end of turn, and still land. So similar to the other version, the other embodiment, the cycle, uh, we don't, uh, unfortunately, I believe, have all of the other embodiments, but I'm guessing they're going to be kind of similar. They all... So they lords. might not
2: have them in all the other colors because it, uh, sure, it's, it's red, a landfall red, ability. Yeah, yeah. They might only have them in these two colors because the other colors aren't landfall colors. Maybe blue. Um, oh, black did have a, a landfall creature uh, last set also. I think this is not as good because it doesn't give vigilance, and you're to your point. Um, you can't then tap the land for mana after it attacks because it doesn't have yeah. vigilance. But and tramples not as good on a three-three. Still, mm-hmm. in a land-based turn my lands into dudes deck, uh, this card is good. Or could be good. I enjoy it. The next one is, I just want to mention it because of the wording, Pyromancer's Assault. Three and a red for an enchantment. Whenever you cast your second spell each turn, Pyromancer's Assault deals two damage to target creature or player.
1: Hmm, Similar to the other card we talked about earlier.
2: Yeah, I saw some people talking about this. It's got the same problem. Your third spell does nothing. Well, it does something, just not. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Well, I mean, I'm just it'll... catching all, <laughs> all these stupid, stupid.
1: <laughs> I got me with your semantics, yeah. yeah. Semantics, indeed. And. All right, yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to white. Sorry, by red. It was nice knowing you. Uh, Eldrazi Displacer. Whoa, Eldrazi and white. That's interesting. Two in the white for a Devoid three three creature. Eldrazi. You can pay two in the color list to exile another target creature, then return it to the battlefield tapped. Under its owner's control. Instant speed flicker.
2: This Not, is I great. Mean, yeah. It will, Most so then, flicker is instant speed, but what you mean is yeah. it, it comes back instantly. It doesn't come back at the next end step. Mm-hmm. It's Deadeye Navigator style. Flicker it out, comes back in right away. Yeah,
1: tapped, but I don't think that's really going to matter for the cards you're going to be wanting to use this on. <sighs> this card seems really good. Also, you can declare a blocker and then exile that creature, or if someone's attacking, you can with them.
2: Yep. And importantly, and it can't too. exile itself, yeah. so it can't sort of save itself from removal, which is one of the reasons Deadeye is so powerful. It's sort of Fair-Eye Navigator. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really good. Just the ability to bring something back right now means if they play something, let's say you have an acidic slime out. yeah. In a lot of instances, in a rune deck, let's say, they play an artifact like a, a Chroma's Memorial, And it gives all it makes all the creatures huge and gives them protection from a bunch of colors. And they're gonna be able to swing and now kill you. If you're in that situation with rune and an acidic slime, you can't actually do anything about it because you can flicker your acidic slime, but it actually leaves play and then comes back in in the end step. It's too late. It's the end step. You're dead already. Eldrazi displacer actually blinks the thing. Rather than flickers, it. Gets I think it back that's immediately. the. Co- I think that's the correct wording now. Blink. Flicker is when it comes back end of turn. Blink is when it comes back immediately. Oh, yeah. that's, a good, that's a good call. I don't know if that's true, but if it's not, then that's just what we're going to say from now on. So <laughs> blinking Sorry. is
1: far superior. The fact that you get it back immediately means you can do all kinds of crazy shenanigans with this kind of ability. Um, Creator hook behemoths all all of a sudden get to get reused that same turn. Uh, car- some cards have untap abilities. Yep. Uh, f- from like Shadowmoor and stuff, I think. Around that era? I forget when it was. But yeah, some cards want to be tapped,
2: and normally it's like, oh no, I have to attack with it. It's like, no, you can just flicker it now. Or... Oh yeah, the inspired mechanic from um, Born of the Gods, I think, or maybe Journey into Nyx, yeah. uh, wants to wants them to be tapped. Yeah, this, this card's very, very good. It's going in basically every flicker deck. Yeah, and
1: even decks that just care about enter the battlefield abilities, this deck is great. Because you can get creatures on any
2: part of the battlefield. That's the insane part. Also... It's repeatable. I mean, it doesn't tap the Eldrazi Displacer, Mm -hmm. so you it doesn't require tapping or untapping of the. And you don't need colored mana to do it either. Yeah, you. Well, you do need specifically colorless, colorless mana. So you need, but still, it's very, very good to be able to just blink something or multiple things in a turn.
1: Yeah, I like it. This card's sweet. If you
2: get this out and Rune out, they can sort of protect each other. mm -hmm. Yeah, very good.
1: This may be in the running for my favorite card of the
2: set. It's it's definitely among the most powerful edh cards in the set yeah uh the next one is call the gate watch it's a sorcery it says search oh sorry it's two and a white search your library for a planeswalker card reveal it and put it into your hand then shelf your library so it's a planeswalker tutor yeah this, super friends only i
1: think i don't i don't know well, it I depends think... i mean if you have very specific planeswalkers that you need to play in your deck to make it really hum then sure but if this only has, like, one or two targets, it may not be worth it.
2: Yeah. It's really interesting because as white becomes sort of... You know, each color has the things it can tutor for. Yeah. You know, green's got creatures. Black is the one that can do anything. Uh, blue's instants and in sorceries. White is usually enchantments, enchantments and, artifacts. and artifacts. Yeah. And now white also gets planeswalkers that it can tutor for. Like, does that make white the second best tutor color? I guess green is because creatures are always going yeah. to really better. The interesting thing
1: is that Planeswalkers, because they're still relatively new to the game, it means that there's they're only going to get better and more and cooler as the years come by. Because if you think about the original creatures that Magic came out with compared to the creatures yeah, we they have now. they were bad. So I think Call of the Gatewatch is a totally a good spec target. Uh, I think it's a card that's only going to go up uh, in price over the long run because Planeswalkers are only going to get better.
2: We just know these tutors are just tend to be expensive in our format. Look at Enlightened Tutor, Idealic Tutor. This is basically Idealic Tutor, right? Mm-hmm. but it's for Planeswalkers. Um, those cards... Into your are... hand, no less. It's great. Yeah, that's that's why. Uh, I sort of wish it was in red. I feel like red deserves it. Whatever. Red doesn't deserve a tutor. Come on. You don't deserve it, red. <laughs> uh, the next one is Stonehaven Outfitter. It's one and a white for a 2-2 core artificer ally. Equipped creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So any creature you have that's equipped gets plus one, plus one. And then whenever... An equipped creature you control dies, draw a card. Hey, this is good for voltron decks that expect their cards to die a lot. I mean, there's equipment decks, mm-hmm. and they're going to love this card, and it's card-drawn white. Yeah, definitely. So pretty pretty self-explanatory when you're going to want it and when you're not. Yeah. All right, we are moving on to colorless,
1: friends. Oh, man. So there were some... Interesting cards in here. I I don't know if if the colored cards have uh, had me super stoked so far, but they have impressed me
2: to a certain degree. There have been some fun ones in there. Yeah, there's some stuff. I don't think there's a ton. Yeah. I think uh, think it it looks like a a normal set, the amount of stuff so far. Yeah. uh,
1: Coming into the colorless area, there are a couple of cards here that are are pretty spicy. The first one that I like a lot, uh, Deceiver of Form. Six and a colorless for an 8-8. Woo-woo! (laughs) <laughs> creature Eldrazi, At the beginning of combat on your turn, reveal the top card of your library. If a creature card is revealed this way, you may have creatures you control other than deceiver reform become copies of that card until end of turn. You may put that card on the bottom of your library. So you want to know what the top card of the library is. What's
2: your what's your what's your ideal target here if you had the dream target? Wow. Um it's probably something that has like a probably like Scourge of the Throne. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. They're all just
1: giant flyers that give you another combat step. So you
2: might get like seven extra combats. You put on They've the ball all got dethroned. Or
1: you scroll racks so that your next combat they become something else too. hoof
2: behemoths or something like that. Yeah. Although well, hoof just, just won't matter because it's not enter the battlefield. Yeah. So only the one. Yeah. Probably like. I don't know. I think Scourge of the Throne is pretty damn good. Yeah. I was. You, you can keep it on top too, right? Yes so you can just continually as long as you have a way to
1: keep it up there like a scroll rack specifically you can just keep going on and on and on and on and
2: doing it i think it's yeah you want attack triggers yeah um because those are the quote-unquote enter the battlefield Mm -hmm. trigger equivalents yeah what do you think uh mine's mind leech
1: mass it's a five blue black black for a six six trample Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you can look at that player's hand and you can cast an online card in there without paying that card's mana cost. That
2: seems pretty good too. <laughs> it seems pretty good. Any card that said whenever you deal combat damage to a player, draw a card, because they would all yeah bounce sort of work with each other. What about um, what's that blue card, the myriad one?
1: Oh, oh, yeah. The it's from Commander 2015. It's the Myriad one that deals combat damage, draw a card. Correct?
2: Any of the Myriad ones because they're gonna Myriad. They're all gonna Myriad. Yeah, that's crazy. So if you, let's say you had six dudes and then you Myriad, that means you have six dudes attacking everybody. Yeah.
1: Ooh boy, that seems good. Uh, and then if you have any kind of like if you have Perforos out,
2: well Perforos is only under the battlefield, but Myriad is when oh yeah. When they attack yeah oh
1: man just boom instant death.
2: Yeah, so Scourge of the Throne into one of the myriad dude. I don't know. Scourge of the Throne seems good. It seems like you're going to get, like, six combats. Yeah. What's I'll- the dragon that, when it attacks, you get a dragon? Oh, uh, Udvara Hellkite. That'd be another
1: good one, too. Seems At good. the end of combat, you have your regular creatures and then, like, 26 sixes. Seems
2: good. Seems good, yeah. yeah then you will, uh, the So you Scourge of the Throne into that. No, you- yeah. Scourge of the Throne into that. Scroll rack into that because you're going to get six new combats. Yeah. And so on the second combat no because they won't be able but yeah you do have to have a haste stack? enabler you have to have a haste enabler all right we're just dreaming big now yeah i don't know do the extra combat stack
1: who knows someone will have to <laughs> tell us oh kiwi kiwi's, kiwi's like, like no
2: they do not they do not <laughs> kiwi it's okay she's <laughs> like listen you guys you're in magical christmas land come back <laughs> come back you guys are you kids are crazy you guys are crazy stop talking crazy yeah uh this might be my personal favorite card of this set.
1: People Not... tweeted you as soon as this card came out because yeah. they, they thought it was a, a Josh Lee Kwai card. It
2: is a super Josh. Dr- I mean, it has three activated tap abilities. <laughs> <laughs> it's made for me. It's five and a colorless, so five and a diamond for a... Oh, sorry. It's called Endbringer. I wonder if it's related to Shaku Endbringer from the old good old days five five and a colorless six mana total for a five five eldrazi untap end bringer during each other player's untap step sold love it already yeah okay the first ability tap end bringer and it deals one damage to target creature player it's a tim it's a tim it's an eldrazi tim it's a five five tim for six that mana. automatically untaps or you can pay a colorless and tap it and target creature can't attack or block this turn I already love that because yeah, that's, that's great. Half the reason I put all the creatures that tap or untap a creature in the deck is to stop your guys from attacking. Yeah. Then, as a third ability, you pay two colorless. So, diamond, diamond, tap the endbringer, draw a card. This card is so awesome. Yeah, it's got everything. It's so awesome. It stops stuff from attacking or blocking you, it draws cards, and it pings stuff. And it untaps itself.
1: Yeah, you don't even have to work with it. It just does it. It's its own combo maker. It's I'm the endbringer. So bringer. excited for this card! It seems more like the uh, the the end starter because it, get,
2: it gets things going. End starter. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> no, one. that's good. End starter would don't have been awesome for me. <laughs> the end starter, the end beginner. Yeah. <laughs> um. The only question is, how do I get a ton of diamond mana into my Tim deck? Just play them pain lands. We gotta pay uh, you got to play it. I can only have three different ones, I think, in there. Are two different ones. Three. Well, then just play a lot of utility lands, which I'm sure you already have in there. Yeah.
1: like, all of those usually tap for, like, high markets and stuff. I'm so excited about Inbringer. Yeah, he's, it's sweet. I'm, I'm excited to see just... I, it's one of those cards where you're like, oh, I can do this and this and this and this this one tap ability ends up giving me like five different things I do. And then, like,
2: yeah, you're just gonna be like dancing and, and like <laughs> and like smiling while you have it. You're like, oh, well, this time I'm gonna make that guy not tap. Yeah, not attack. And oh, I'm gonna draw a card now. Oh, I'll just ping and kill that thing. And this, <laughs> you, oh, I'm so excited. Yeah, it's pretty sweet.
1: Uh, all right, uh, we have Thought Not Seer up next three and a colorless for a 4 4 Eldrazi. This thing's weird looking. This,
2: gotta... this wins the prize for most overly clever name.
1: Yeah. I thought not because Because when thought not seer enters the battlefield, target opponent reveals his or her hand. You choose a non-land card from it and exile that card. So it doesn't doesn't go under the creature like a brain maggot. It just gets exiled. It doesn't have a restriction. It's just straight up a non-land card gets exiled when this thing comes into play. Pretty good. And then not as good. When thought not seer leaves the battlefield, thought so, target opponent draws a card. But it does um,
2: not have to be the same opponent that you stole a card from.
1: Yes, very important.
2: This is really, really sort of, I think it's secretly good because you're like, I take a card from the player that's winning and I give a card to one of the players that's losing. <laughs> yeah. um, or, you know, just take a card from somebody that I'm not allied with and give a card to somebody that I am. In something like Secret Partners, yeah, it could be very, very good because you could actually give a card to a partner. Because they're technically still your opponents, I think. Yep. Um, I, I think this card is good. And it's not when you cast it. It's when it enters the battlefield, so you can flicker it. Yeah, you can actually almost destroy someone's hand if you can endlessly flicker this with, like, an Endbringer. Or with, like, <laughs> no, <Endbringer>, uh, <laughs> Eldrazi Displacer. Displacer, yeah. Yep. This seems seems great to me. And you can trade. You can horse trade. You can be like, hey, you want to draw a card? Yeah, it's kind, kind like of give
1: me that Vendillion click thing where uh, they get to draw a card, but you're just sort of Popping them in and out, and you can give cards to different people, of course. So,
2: pretty cool. um The next one is oh, I gotta, I gotta turn the page. Ooh, nice. We got multiple pages. You remember here, those old uh, books when you were a kid that would be like, when you hear the chimes ring, turn the page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the Star Wars one was the R two D two. When you hear R two D two beep like this, boop, burp, 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 turn, turn the, the page. page. So when I was a kid, I tricked all the other kids at my preschool into believing that I knew how to read because I just memorized the book on tape or the yeah. book on record as it were and the way that the parents because at first the parents thought how does that kid know how to read he's yeah. like three years old but they learned oh he just memorized it because I would make the sound right? the turn the page sound because I memorized it verbatim so mm-hmm. I would get to the end of the page and then I would go and then I would turn the page knowing that that's when you're supposed to turn the page Yeah, everyone's just... just
1: like holy crap this
2: kid's a genius <laughs> I was a con man from very early on yeah um, when you hear the bing Turn the page. <laughs> Bing! Matter Reshaper, two and a colorless mana for a 3-2 Eldrazi. When Matter Reshaper dies, reveal the top card of your library. You may put that card onto the battlefield. If it's a permanent card with converted mana, cost three or less. Otherwise, you put that card into your hand. Whoa, it cheats it onto the battlefield? Jeez. Yeah, really good in stuff like Marin. Yeah. You know, Caridor, stuff that you want stuff to die. It's going to come back. Stuff like Marchesa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. It's
1: uh, yeah. If you can recur this, of course, very good. So Marchesa, I think, would be a, a fun one with this, depending, again, on your your deck build. If you have nothing that's 3 CMC or less, it's not as effective, but you still get to draw a card off it, which is nice.
2: Yeah, that's the thing is, worst case scenario, draw a card. Yeah.
1: So, yeah, I think it's a good card. Yeah, Warping Whale, one and a colorless for an instant. Uh, you can choose one. Exile target creature with power or toughness, one or less. Interesting counter target sorcery spell uh, or you can put a one one eldrazi scion token into the battlefield and you can sacrifice it to add a colorless mana to your mana pool
2: this feels like an interesting experiment this Mm -hmm. card of like because we know modal cards are good cards with a lot of versatility that do a lot of different things in different circumstances so can we make a card that does very very small things but you've got three choices and will that be good and i think the answer is yes mm-hmm. i think so too because in standard this kills jace yep um
1: I, every time i see the the colorless mana symbol i keep thinking it's Frexian man i'm being like you can cost us, cast this cast it for Sur- one <laughs>
2: <laughs> i mean countering a sorcery spell is still good insurrections a sorcery spell. yeah not to mention this is a counter in colorless yes so it, anyone no one, can play this no one will see it coming out of your mono black decks mono white decks et yeah c- exactly etc um and then at the very least, you just sort of get a one. one you get it ramps. It could be a good chump blocker. Yeah, or it. You know, I just need one extra man on next turn, and yeah. on the end step, I'll just do it because nobody casts a sorcery. I think this card is going to see quite a bit of play. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I have no idea what the art is. It is bizarre as all heck.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> it's true. Like some what weird is that elk thing with some like? Well, set. how do you
2: draw somebody? exiling a creature with power toughness one or less, countering a sorcery <laughs> spell, or making an Eldrazi sign. Like, how you know. even draw it looks that? Like, it looks like the thing's blowing a bubble, though. Don't but... sleep on this card. I think this card is going to be really good. All the effects look minimal, and it's going to be like, well, how often do I want to do those? I think the first two are actually going to come up quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, encountering uh, sorceries happens all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think you should
2: be wanting to do that, because there are a lot of very powerful sorceries. Uh, most format. board wipes are sorceries. Yeah. Um, so if you're making a token deck and you're in white board wipes are like the worst thing. Mm -hmm. Here's another way to stop board wipes and it's cheap Mm -hmm. and they won't see
1: it coming. And occasionally that the first one where you're getting rid of that creature, uh, that could be very relevant. There are some creatures out there that will definitely want to be taken care of.
2: Well, I would say any creature with power or toughness one or less that's being played in EDH has something crazy going on. Yeah. Is like a super great utility creature of some kind. Yeah, totally. Um, all right, the next, we're on to multicolored cards now. Yeah. Gold cards. Although oh, some of them have void, maybe. Um, Reflector Mage is one, a white, and a blue. Marshall um, uh, spoiled this, by the way. Well, yeah, it basically should have been named Reflector Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> when Reflector Mage enters the battlefield, return target creature in opponent controls to its owner's hand. That creature's owner can't cast spells with the same name as that creature until your next turn. Oh. Well, Commander
1: wow yeah that's really great it's a
2: sorcery speed
1: bounce but it's only three mana you get a creature out of it and then you get a bounce and stop an opponent from casting their best
2: creature it never moors that card until the next turn
1: yeah uh if you're playing against a mizzix deck and they can't stop this that could put them out of the game because that could be the one thing they need it's like oh well whatever i'll play my oh i can't play my commander again holy crap think of this with flicker or blink oh my gosh yeah I blink that, I blink that. You can't cast any of those cards next turn. It It actually gives them a dead card in their hand. And if you can do it to enough things, then they are severely limited in how they can redevelop their board too.
2: I I wonder the ruling, and and I'm not a judge, but I think if you blink it, then the first card that you bounce, they would be able to play now because the Reflector Mage, the new one isn't the same as the old one. I don't know.
1: The ability could be not tied to the card though. You know, it could just be tied to the... It could just be put into the world as an effect that just resides on that card until... Is that part
2: of the original bounce trigger, or is it part of the Reflector Mage, like meddling mages? I'm not sure.
1: I think it's part of the bounce trigger. I think on Modo, the card would say, you cannot cast this turn until so-and-so's next turn.
2: Well, we're not judges, so... <laughs> I mean, I think it works the way you're saying, Jimmy. I'm just not 100% sure, and I'm gonna be sweet. Because we've been wrong before, but yeah. I, it's... Anyway... Look into that, or somebody tell us on Twitter or whatnot. I, I, we try to Google it here, and it's hard to find this specific answer uh, mm-hmm. because it's a card that has just recently been spoiled. And so, well, I don't know. Judges, let us know. Let us know. All right, next up we got Minds Melter for one
1: blue-black uh, creature. Eldrazi drone that's devoid. It's a 2-2. It can't be blocked, and for three and a color colorless, target opponent exiles a card from his or her hand. Activate this ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery. That's cool. Um, it, these are all ingest, by the way. Ingest triggers waiting to happen. You're ingesting, the, you can now totally process these cards because you're putting them into exile. Yeah, you
2: exile them, then you can process yeah. it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, this is just a card that could decimate. Oh, yeah. In those decks with like that can create a lot of mana and just need mana sinks. Mm hmm. And, and even don't, don't even care it, it, like decks like
1: Carador. That's like fine. I'll just put it in my graveyard. That's fine. It's like no, is everything's getting exiled. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. The exile part is makes it very strong. Um, yeah, I like that card. Yeah,
1: I like it a lot too.
2: Cliff Haven Vampires. The next one. It's two and Orzov, So two a white and a black for a two four flying vampire warrior ally. Whenever you gain life, each opponent loses one life. Now this is slightly different than than some other um, sort of variations on this card. Because whenever you gain life, each opponent loses one life. They don't lose the amount of life that you gained. Mm-hmm. It's still very good in um, those life gain decks. you know. And there's a whole bunch now with Uncle Carl and stuff like that. Yeah, totally. Ili.
0: Yeah, this Ili. is interesting.
1: It's also notably each opponent. Uh, so the two-headed giant format that they like for Oath of the Watch is going to be even more... Uh, Interesting here, mm-hmm. both your, both your opponents will count as an opponent, so you'll actually lose two life whenever you gain life. Uh, but yeah, these abilities are always good for that kind of deck, anyway.
2: All right, let's move on to the lands. There are a bunch of cool lands, especially uh, the colorless mana producing lands. We've talked about a few of them before, but we'll go over it again. Holdout Settlement, which is the one with the Jawas. Big uh, <laughs> yeah, who did he? Who did he? Looks totally like a little Jawa. Uh, holdout Settlement is a land. You can tap it to add colorless or diamond mana to your mana pool, or you can tap it and tap an untapped creature you control to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. So it's sort of spring leaf drums. Yeah. Interesting. I like it.
1: I think it's a it'll be a very good land and limited
2: to be splashing colors with. It's gonna be interesting to see if the if we need that colorless diamond mana so badly in EDH that we run cards like this. I feel like we won't, but yeah. maybe. Because uh, you got cards like Seagate Wreckage, uh, which you can tap to add a color- colorless
1: to your mana pool. And for two and a colorless, you can tap it to draw a card, but you can only activate this ability only if you have no cards in hand.
2: This card seems really good. Now, I know you, have, you can only use it if you have no cards in hand, and that seems a little bit not great. Mm-hmm. But it feels like Library of Alexandria type of like... That's a card that you tap the land and you can only draw a card if you already have seven cards in your hand. This is the the reverse of that, but we know that effect is super powerful. That's bannably powerful in the most powerful formats.
1: Yeah. Drawing cards
2: uh, is always good. And on a land. And you could do things like dis- play everybody discards their hand type effects, then play this. Ooh, yeah, you could that's good. also yeah. do things like tap it and while the abilities on this stack use something like a voyaging satyr to untap it and do, use it again. So you actually get to draw two cards off it. You can do things oh, like that. Yeah. 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 I think there's ways to abuse this card. I think this card is going to be usable uh, in the right decks and be pretty good.
1: Yeah. pool. Uh, this card is still got to be the most powerful land bonkers it's nuts yeah uh enters the battlefield tapped uh you can tap it to add colorless to your mana pool or for two in the colorless sacrifice it and tap it copy target instant or sorcery spell you control you can choose new targets for the copy for four in the colorless you can tap it and sacrifice it but a token onto the battlefield that's a copy of target creature you control
2: flexibility it's a land that forks one of your spells or copies one of your creatures it's a land that does that uh yeah this card seems really really good it's going to be usable in a whole bunch of decks. The fact that it has
1: that flexibility is why it's so powerful. I love stuff that can do it, and it's not cu- tied to a color, so you can
2: play this in any deck. Again, um, th- and we're going to be looking for lands that produce the colorless mana already. Mm-hmm. So we're going to want cards like this that have I, you know, cards that basically read, "I produce colorless mana, but I also do something else." Uh, the last one we're going to talk about is Crumbling Vestige. Sorry not the last land just the last of these sort of new
1: We are getting towards the end here guys.
2: We are. Crumbling Vestige enters the battlefield tapped uh, and when it enters the battlefield you can add one mana of any color to your mana pool and then you, it can also be tapped for a colorless mana. So This
1: flavor is sweet by the way. It's like this land that barely has anything left to give. It's got
2: one last bit of color Ooh! and then yeah.
1: And then it just taps for colorless from that point on. This card's sweet. I really like the design of this. I think this is one of the best design lands ever for a limited format. And I could totally see this being useful in EDH and stuff too.
2: There are some new folk lands, some new creature lands. There's Ayo. three of them. These have been hotly anticipated. Maybe not so much for EDH, but yeah. folk lands are still good too. in EDH.
1: They're so cool. Uh go ahead. Wandering fumarole. Fumarole. And <laughs> the battlefield tapped, you can tap it to add is it, so blue or red to your mana pool. For two A blue and a red, it's got an activated ability until end of turn. Wandering Fumarole becomes a 1-4 blue and red elemental creature with the ability pay zero mana, switch this creature's power and toughness until end of turn. It's still a land. So it can become a 4-1 or a 1-4, basically based on what your opponent does when you attack
2: with it, I guess. Or for some other effects, I'm sure will affect it. We've talked about this before. The creature lands, the folk lands are just super good because they can sort of... They get forgotten, mm-hmm. so they can do things like just get in there for four because somebody board wiped and somebody's at four, somebody's low, and the four damage matters. Or they can block when somebody does careful calculations of like, I can exactly kill everybody and they do yeah. their thing, or insurrection happens. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, Folklands will save you from those insurrections because they don't actually get to steal the Folklands and then you activate them, and you can actually block. Yeah. Um, so they're just good for a lot of reasons, and this is good for all those reasons. By the way,
1: this gets a hundred percent blown out by Warping Whale.
2: <laughs> just kill it. Yeah. No matter what, it doesn't matter what you change it to. You lost the land while you're at it. Sorry, guy. <laughs> um, Needle Spires is the Boros Folkland. It comes in play tapped. It taps for either either uh, red or white. You can pay two a red and a white, and it becomes a two one. Red and white elemental creature with double strike until end of turn. So Cool. Again, same reasoning as uh, Wandering Fumarole.
1: Mm-hmm. This art's my favorite. I love it. It's like this thing coming out of the ground. It's like,
2: let me free. It looks like a sort of rock dinosaur that lives on the whatever world that John Carter lives on. Mars? <laughs> <laughs> John Carter of Mars, yes.
1: Hissing Quagmire is our last one here. And uh, as the outfield tapped, you can a- tap it to add black or green to your mana pool. And for one, a black and a green, you can pay that much. And Hissing Quagmire becomes a 2-2 black and green elemental creature with death touch until end of turn. It's still a land. So these, of course, also combine really well with all those landlords that we were uh, talking about earlier. Yeah. They and this one's,
2: I think this one's actually better than the other two. Yeah, Death Touch is great. It's gonna it's and a, it's it's a removal spell, kind of. Mm-hmm. It's going to get rid of one of their creatures, and if you have the open mana, they're just not going to attack you because they don't want their creature to die. Yeah. So this threat of activation is pretty good on defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the whole... I'm just going to call them the guild gate cycle. It's the allied pairs only, but they're exactly guild gates. They come into play tapped, and then they tap for allied pairing, paired mm-hmm. colors. So you can get a one that taps for green, red, and so on. Yep. And they're
1: uncommon. So if you guys are limited players, that'll be interesting to know. If you're going to go crazy, you're not going to see these lands as often as guild gates.
2: It's great that we have these because it's going to just make... Like, I still have a few decks that might have a guild gate or one of the life lands in them.
1: And it's nice. This definitely helps out players that don't have huge budgets for different lands.
2: Yeah, because at least it opens up the possibility of playing decks like Wuburg decks and stuff. Yeah, they're not going to be the hyper-efficient old-school dual land decks but you can still play them with these sort of you know slower lands but yeah, yeah. good um, times uh we, there are also
1: the expeditions by the way if you guys did not know they are releasing 25 new expeditions in this set we did talk about all of them in our last episode I think it's just 20. 20? Yeah. You're right. Just 25 last time. 20. Yeah. Dang. You know, I'm just dreaming big over here. <laughs> um, but, I mean, EDH players should be excited because a lot of these lands are very good for our format and no one else has.
2: Uh, <laughs> That's so true. I think, I think the price on a lot of these is going to be lower than the price on on the I other hope, ones. I
1: really hope so because I want Eye of Ugin. This Eye of Ugin I mean, does anybody so want Core
2: Haven but us?
1: I don't know. I, I feel I, like they I don't. Hope not because yeah. Core Haven one of
2: my favorite lands. They talked about all of uh, – or they, we – Mm-hmm. You know, they, those other guys. Those, those guys, the command yeah. Zone, they, we talked about uh, all the expeditions in a previous episode. I believe it was two episodes ago, episode 90. It might have been episode 90. Yeah, I, I think
1: mean. it was, yeah, because there were some early spoilers. Oh, I think 90 it or was 91, 91
2: actually, when, the bib, when we were like, holy crap, there was a ton of leaks. Yeah. Anyway, we talked about them already, so we're not going to go over them again. But we're excited, as we're should excited. you be. So, um, moving on to our next section, we're going to try out a new thing. I like things. It's a new thing. We're gonna be call we're gonna call it to the listeners. To you guys. So we're gonna throw out some questions that we have uh, for the listeners and for just EDH players in general. And we may do this every episode, I don't know, but we're gonna try it for a little while, kinda of like the end step. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna have a few questions and we'd love to hear back from you. This is gonna help us just get a good sort of temperature reading on what people are thinking and liking out there and sort of, you know, what they're feeling. So we're gonna start out with three questions. You can answer all three. You can answer only one, however you want to. You can tweet it at us or email it to us or post your answer in the comment section either on YouTube or Rocket Jump. So you could
1: address it in the next episode. Who knows?
2: Who knows? Yeah, we probably will call out some people. And, uh, you know, talk about some of the answers when when relevant.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's a nice way to involve you guys because you guys are what makes the show the show itself. uh,
2: And I don't have to send out booster packs. (laughs) (laughs) Not that we won't still give away prizes all the time because we will. um, And definitely we've sort of unofficially been doing this from time to time. But we want to make a concentrated effort to sort of do it more often. So, Oh, quick reminder. If you guys did
1: win a booster pack in the Holiday Booster Pack giveaway... Uh, They're finally sent out by the time of this episode being
2: aired. I couldn't send them out before the holidays, and I finally got around to it. Uh, Oh, and I should also say some people have been asking about the Elfstones of Shannara books. Those are going out shortly. Again, because of the holidays, the shipping has been a little bit delayed. It took a little bit longer to gather all the addresses. People just, you know, weren't listening to the uh, episodes like right on the day, so sometimes Mm -hmm. they send them in late. Anyway, all that stuff's going to go out. You will get it. Don't worry. Okay. Don't you worry. Here are our two the listeners questions. What cards are you most excited about from both of the Gatewatch? What combos do you see that we didn't? And which cards did we miss? Did we not talk about that we should have? Clearly none. We're perfect. Especially not the ones that we don't even know exist yet. <laughs> uh, definitely let us know because we're going to record next week and the cards that you know, got spoiled in the meantime or that we should have talked about but didn't, we can address. Yeah, we'll definitely talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, very exciting. Uh, I, I enjoyed both of these sets so far Belafur's in the car and Oath of the Gate Watch. I'm excited to see what the final Uncommons and Commons will unlock. I'm also looking forward to maybe meeting some of you guys this weekend at GP Oakland. on It'll be Sunday. over by the time. Yeah, this will be. So, so post you, post, you, post You had fun than, meeting them. Yeah, I had tons of fun meeting you guys. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it at the time of this recording. So hopefully we can get some EDH games in. We got some EDH games in. How, how much
2: fun was that? <laughs> Great. <laughs> all right it's like the before and after but at this exact same time yeah exactly (laughs) um all right time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic oh you got some spicy ones here i have a trio of cool things one is 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 on a different tier yeah so the the first one the highest tier the is making a murderer if you watch this i
1: read the wikipedia about the case and i got really depressed uh and I know that it's a show like like The Jinx, that when I watch it, I'm going to want to watch it all the way through. So I'm, I'm just waiting for my sort of a eight to 10 hour period of time when I can do it.
2: Yeah, it's super addicting. Anybody that uh, listened to Serial or watched The Jinx, two other shows, one, a podcast, one, a HBO show that we've talked about in the end step in yeah. previous episodes, this is along the exact same lines. Super addicting. Yes, a little bit depressing. Um, if you watch Serial and The Jinx, You'll actually be really well informed when you watch the show because it's dealing with a lot of the same subject matter. Yeah. This is something that's tangentially related to a lot of things that are going on in the U.S. right now with the way that our sort of justice system operates. And I think it's important for people to watch this stuff and get an idea for how things work, not just to protect yourself in certain situations, but also just to know what's going on. Yeah, be informed. Be informed. So definitely making a murderer super, super good, super compelling. And yeah. something I think is important for people to watch. Um, then there's two other shows. I've just been on a TV binge. Lucky you. Lucky me. Um, Chronicles of Shannara. We talked about it. It came out. The first. We're giving episode. away books. We're giving away the book that the show is based on. Yeah. We've this been working is cool. with Delray Spectra for a while. This they must is be so excited. Their show, yeah. And the show's good. I watched the pilot episode. It's two. Uh, it's it's actually two episodes. so It's actually like not quite two full hours long. And mm-hmm. then you can actually watch the third and fourth episode online. If if you go sign in to, um, I think you can just Google Chronicles of Shannara and find it that way. Cool. Uh, the show is good and they changed some things from the book and the book is one of my all time favorite books from when I was a kid. Um, but it really stays with the spirit, at least so far what the book is. So I don't mind the changes at all. That's uh, sweet. And the quality and the production quality is really high. I think it's Alfred go and miles Millar who did smallville. Mm. Smallville, or they? The, I I did enjoy Smallville quite a bit. If it was them, I think it's them, or it might be Heroes. No, I think it's Smallville. That's off the top of my head. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. <laughs> um, and the other show they is Smallville. It is Smallville. Okay, good. Um, and the other show, man, I have been watching a lot of TV lately uh, <laughs> that I've s- sort of gotten into and seems pretty good so far. Is the Expanse? That's yeah, rated really pretty well so far. You know, I have been looking for years, and I'm sure a lot of you are the same way for the Battlestar Galactica replacement. Is this it? This is not Maybe. quite it, <laughs> but it's pretty good. It's I, I don't want it. It's not in the stratosphere of Battlestar, which I think is probably one of the better TV shows in the last decade. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely will scratch that itch. Okay. Yeah. That's
1: good to know. I, I loved Battlestar Galactica, so I, I'm also always looking for a show like this because uh, I love sci-fi. So yeah, if, I and think Shinar is going to also help with that as well.
2: Yeah, and, and The Expanse is... It's smart, it's tight, it has good performances. You know, Thomas Jane, uh, who was the Punisher in the Punisher movie, mm-hmm. and uh, I have a soft spot for him because I did a short film years ago and he gave it a good review at Comic-Con because he was one of the judges. So. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, Yay, Thomas Jane. Thanks, man. Well, thank you on Josh's behalf. Also, thank you, <laughs> just in general. Uh, anyway, that's my instep. Three TV shows. Nice. Making uh, a murderer is, is the most important.
1: Yeah, I'm going to watch it. I'll, I'll get back to you when I do. Um, if it's anything like the Jinx was, I'll be screaming at my TV a lot. You will be. It's, a, it's very much like the Jinx. Ugh. Okay. All right, cleanup step. <laughs> uh, our sister podcast for the show is the Masters of Modern. You can find them on Twitter at the MMCast. Alex Kessler, Ben Bateman, kill it on a weekly basis. They just did their top 10 blue cards. They also do a lot of fun polls on their Twitter as well. They did their top 10 blue cards? Yeah.
2: They're ahead of us now? oh crap because we haven't done blue yet <laughs> you're right crap
1: oh well maybe we know what next week's episode you're putting the is pressure be. on us uh you can find them on twitter at the mmcast make sure you check it out they also release episodes every single week on rocket jump
2: our editor is terry robertson and special thanks to jeffrey palmer for the living card animations that oh, you can see we've got a new on. one coming up he made us a super special one specifically for us and it is sick it's probably his best one yet yeah. Oh my gosh, it is incredible. Yeah, I gasped when I watched it. In so, fact, if thanks, you just Jeffrey. listen to these and you don't watch them, just for this one episode, just go watch, and it'll be at the very front of our video, mm-hmm. so that you can see the new animation that he did for us. Jeffrey, you're the man. You can check him out on Twitter at Living Cards MTG, and you can find our videos on YouTube.com/slash The Command Zone Podcast. Yes, please check it out. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll uh, what? One more thing.
1: Oh. Oh, kitchen
2: what? table fables kitchen table fables kitchen table fables is almost here it's almost here it is almost here you're you've gonna see s- josh tweet about it if you don't follow us on twitter you haven't but if you do you've seen a lot of the shots the effects are coming in eli our old editor for the command zone has been doing some of the effects thanks eli thanks eli it's uh we've got all the music in we're gonna color it we're gonna mix it and i don't want to promise a date at this moment but if you watch the professors to Laren community college youtube page and ours they're gonna pop up there any day now. Yeah. So if you have not subscribed, you need to subscribe because Kitchen Table fables is a game changer. It's Where it's at. It's gonna be cool. Yeah, I'm excited.
1: Good, good job. I totally forgot about that.
2: Good job, everybody! Yay! Bing. Bing. Bing.
1: Thanks for listening and watching, and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace.